This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Go, hey! It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. We as a fan base go through a lot. It's different than a lot of other teams. We, we've got a lot of stuff out there that's tough to swallow. I get it. I get how you feel. I think you understand how I feel. So you know what? Those little moments, those little wins, the little joy that you can have with A's baseball – Take it, man. Enjoy it. These past two days, you know, getting on my phone, calling up A's cast, just listening to Ken and Vince and Johnny, fabulous. And I texted them yesterday going, and I can tell you, I I read the text here. I basically said, hey, I know a lot of people probably said this, but it was just great to have you guys back on the air. And then yesterday, in the rain and the cold, like an idiot, I played golf, and I had them on, serious, and listened to the game, and then watching the highlights. And I know a lot of you posted comments on Instagram, excited, and you know you want to temper it, oh, it's just two spring training games. No, be excited. You deserve it. So what being a sports fan is. Take the wins. When there's some fun, take it. Enjoy it. People forget we're in the entertainment business. We're here to entertain you. We're here to get you ready for A's baseball today for another game. If the A's are 2-0, and why not enjoy it? That's what entertainment's about. There's the highs. There's the lows. It's a roller coaster ride. So if you're going to live through those downs... Enjoy some little ups. Yeah, we got a long way to go before the season starts. But you know what? Let's sit back and look at a guy like Mueller, who if you watched or listened to that interview while we were down in Arizona, Mueller is a supremely confident young athlete who thinks this is my time. I came up, did some spot starts in Atlanta, But that's a tough rotation to crack for a young guy. And essentially what he told us was in Atlanta, they had five legit guys. Atlanta's stacked. They've won the division, what, five, six straight years? Gone to a World Series, won it. They got a lot of talent. And what he told us was their AAA rotation was so strong, whenever they needed a spot starter, the Braves just called up whose ever turn it was. They actually didn't care who the name was. They just went, who's pitching today? Call him up. Whose turn is it? Call him up. And Mueller told us, I'm done with that. 
I'm here to play. And he oozes confidence. He's 6'7". He oozes talent. He's the kind of guy. We told him about the Madison Bumgarner uh, comparisons. You know, some of these kids, they dictate the playing time. And if you take the ball every five days and you go out there, there's going to be, you know, sometimes the seas will be calm. Sometimes they'll be rocky. But if you don't pitch yourself out of a rotation and you stay healthy, you can look up and one of these guys can give you 20. I mean, I don't even say 30 starts because you'll think I'm nuts. But give you 25 starts. Moeller's a big guy, strong young man. Very confident. Can totally see that. And the player that I I really I, I fell in love with, Ryan Noda. He came onto the program live. So we didn't tape it early in the morning. They played in the game. And when, you know, these games are going so fast, we will get into that. Because some people are just, you've lost your minds. You guys are, you're reacting to one Braves-Red Sox game that ended in a tie because the batter got called for a strike. And everybody, oh, this is what baseball, no, it's not what baseball is going to be. It's right in the beginning. Guys are learning how to do it. I'm going to go on a whole thing about the NFL and the NBA and the clocks. But game ended, and they brought Noda out to us. And we were in a commercial break. Introduced myself to him. He sat down. We started talking. And, yeah, the guy mentioned, I can play defense. I can play gold glove defense. He said that. He barely knows me. Well, actually, he doesn't know me at all. He just met me and told me he can play gold glove defense. What kind of confidence is that? That's big-time confidence. I love that. Then he, we do the interview. Love him even more. Kid can talk. He's good-looking. He's got everything you want. I know we're not selling jeans, Billy Bean. Brad Pitt, but yeah. Well, he was playing. Billy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brad Pitt, but yeah. If I'm selling jeans, I'm buying. Well, then... It was the next day I was in the clubhouse getting a cup of coffee and I run into him and he comes up and, you know, thanks me for the interview and we start talking and, and you know, it, it was tough for him. I mean, just think about that. Think about your job. Think about your job. You think like, man, I'm up for a promotion. I'm up for the next step of my career. And all of a sudden, instead of getting that promotion, your bosses go out and hire somebody else. You thought you were next in line. You're getting a pay raise. You're getting what you want. But they went, nope, we're hiring somebody else, and you're staying right where you are. How would you feel? You'd feel hurt. You'd probably start sharpening your resume and say, get me the hell out of here, because I've hit a ceiling. I like to bring this to real life, because this is real life. I know baseball doesn't seem like real life, but it's real life. So if you thought you were going to get a promotion, if you thought you had earned a promotion, and they went outside the building and gave it to somebody else, you're going to be pretty teed up. That's what happened to Ryan Noda. He thought, he's being told, man, you're the guy. 
First base has kind of been a cluster for the first base and DH for the Dodgers has been a cluster, right? Oh, put Max Muncie there. You know, you're thinking, man, I'm a legit first baseman. I got power. I got defense. I got what you want. And they're telling you, your time's coming, big fella. Your time's coming. And just when you start to see the light that this could be my time, first baseman of the Los Angeles Dodgers, pretty cool. Nope. They go out and sign Freddie Freeman, which actually, that kind of came out of nowhere, if you remember those negotiations. Because there was a belief inside the industry that Freddie Freeman was all, he's a brave. They just won the World Series. He's the captain of the team. He's the he's the guy in the clubhouse. Freddie Freeman is a star player who just won the World Series, and somehow, some way, they couldn't come together on a contract. They ended up making a trade with us, signing Matt Olson and giving Matt Olson a long term deal, but they couldn't come to terms with Freddie Freeman. And you're sitting at home, Ryan Note, and you go. Probably means nothing to you that Matt Olson gets traded to the Braves and signs a contract. You're right. No, that means nothing to you. Hell, he may not even know. He's back in Cincinnati. But then all of a sudden, the Dodgers come into play. Six years, 175 or whatever the money is, doesn't matter. But six years. So if you're Ryan Noden and you're sitting at home and, and I don't know how he how he gets his baseball news, whether somebody was texting him, it popped up on all our phones. Dodgers, Dodgers agree to terms of Freddie Freeman on a six-year deal. Can you imagine if you're Ryan Noda and you thought you're the guy? You're screwed. Yeah, he can play outfield. He told us he can play left or right, but that's not like that's like – once again, he thinks he can play gold glove defense. So you're thinking, i got to get out of here. But in baseball, you just can't sharpen your resume like the rest of us and go to work down the street for the competitor. They own your rights. They own you as an employee. And as he told us in our interview, and you can go back, download the interview, or you can watch the interview on YouTube, he was thrilled that the A's took him in the Rule 5 draft. Thank you. I got a shot. We say it all the time. The land of opportunity is Oakland. Not only does he get out of L.A. where he's blocked, he's coming here where if you're looking around, I got as good an opportunity to make this 26 as anybody else. And if you look... I know he had a uh, he had a hit on day one. Well, yesterday was eleven to four. First day was D backs. So it was twelve seven day one. He was he had a double and scored a run on day one, and then he hit the jack yesterday. And as the general manager just said, boy, what a way to start, right? Do you want to hear the home run? I have it. Yeah, as I'm looking up there, yeah, go ahead, play the home run. Uh, Johnny Dosko on the call. Here's the 2-1 pitch. That swung on, a fly ball to center field, going back for it. Joe Gray Jr. near the track at the wall, looks up, and it is gone. What a shot from Noda. A three-run homer. It's 11-1 Oakland. 
So Noda goes deep. His first home run of the spring. A three-run shot, and the A's have busted this game wide open. 11-1 A's. You think there's a lot of time? There's not. I'm just going to tell you right now. You, we, we all think, ah, it's spring training. Oh, it's Arizona. Oh, it's Florida. Get out of the cold. We're all going to be here forever. It's going to be forever. Hell, we were just in Arizona. We're back home. It goes by like that. I'm telling you right now, it goes by so fast. Just over a month. What is the date today? The 26th or 27th? 27th. First game is March 20 what? March 30th against the Angels. Just a little over a month. Remember, they got travel back up here. I mean, it's just about a month. You got a month. Can you imagine a month in your life where it's your dream, your ultimate dream can come true, but it's based on a month, one month, how you perform for that month. And there is a competition right now. There is a major competition. And Dermis Garcia is there. Aguilar obviously is going to get some time, but they're looking for either Garcia or not. You kind of know your competition. He probably doesn't really know much about at Soderstrom, so that's probably not like that's kind of the rearview mirror of this kid. The kid's coming. Yeah. The kid's coming. That And that's what's great is that you have competition – at first base. He looked good on Saturday. But I'm telling you right now, if you're Noda, what an impression. Double day one, three-run shot day two. You took me in the Rule 5 draft. You've got to keep me here. Great to see. And this kid's oozing confidence. Love to see it. And I've really been thinking about this because what we are starting to see, and there's the top video today or the top article on MLB.com is – uh, Peralta with like the fastest strikeout ever is some Pirates guy. Yeah, Wandy Peralta, 22nd strikeout against. I should know who the Pirate player was, but I didn't. 20 seconds. I was just more impressed with the strikeout. It, it's utilizing the clock or pitch timer to your advantage. And you think about it, it happens all the time in sports. And we're now going to get in baseball. And the traditionalists, once again, are going to be, they're going to have their, their, their underwear in a bunch, but they'll get used to it. But think it happens all the time. And I love to talk about football because we know football is the most viewed thing in all of America. Thing. Whatever whatever things that are on television, nothing is viewed more than football. The ratings tell you that. We as human beings in the United States of America consume football more than anything else. No American Idol, no Bachelor, no Mass Singer, no cooking show. No 911, everybody's dying, or hospital show, or lawyer show. Magna PI reboot. <laughs> Magna PI. Where's Tom Selleck? <laughs> it, it, there is only one thing that people are watching. <laughs> it is football. So, what happens usually on the goal line? I can tell you, because my days of being a sideline guy, I would follow the football wherever it would go. Unfortunately for the Raiders, it was always when I was there on their end. But I would follow it when the other team had the ball. And what you see is, is you use the clock and you use time to your advantage. So normally, you see the quarterback, a lot of times in shotgun, but when we get inside the 20, you call it the red zone, you see him get under center, right? 
and it'll be Red Razor 49, Red Razor 49. Then, you know, if they're going to change the play, kill, 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 34 blue five. You know, and they're doing all these calls, right? Because the quarterback is reading the defense, right? So he's switching the plays to where the defense is. But sometimes when you get down, especially right on the goal line, and they've brought in their goal line defense, and it's all the biggies. They're bringing in all the big boys. They'll go quick count. So they put the football down. They line up. Instead of going through those long calls that Peyton Manning's, fam- Peyton Manning's famous for it, right, because he had all the dummy calls in there. They would just line up. Quarterback gets under center. goes, right, Razor, and boom, they all go because they want to get that advantage of getting off the football at the goal line because when you get to the goal line, whoever has the lowest pads is going to win, and you're going to drive whichever side is going to drive each other. So you're utilizing the quick count as an advantage. Or you see all the time where teams draw out a long call because you want to get the other team to drop to, to, to jump off sides to get you a first down. And if you end up getting the five yards, you don't care, you're punting anyway. Utilizing time is your advantage. Now, I explained, I think it was with Grady Fuson or somebody, where what I think runners are going to do. If I was a runner, my strategy would be, I mean, the great ones from Ricky Henderson down, yeah, they're fast. But that's not why Maury Wills or Ricky Henderson or anybody stole that many bases. They stole a ton of bases because they were masters at reading the pitchers. They studied the pitchers, they knew their tendencies, and they knew exactly what they were going to do. So I stole bases off the pitcher. And I think that is going to happen dramatically now because now that we've seen where they're putting these pitch timers, it's going to be when you're leading off, as a, as, and you'll start to see it more once we get into big league stadiums, you're going to be able to look directly at it as a runner. So when I'm taking my lead off and I'm getting off and I'm getting off and I'm seeing that timer and it's ticking down, three, two, I'm gone, man. 20 seconds, I'm gone. When that thing's coming down to three, two, one, I'm out of here because I know he's not throwing over. And I think that if I'm Scott Emerson and I'm the pitching staff, I'm going to really do this right out of the gate. And we'll, we'll talk to Emo again. We'll, you know, we'll do this. Let's let a few games go by and see how it plays out and say, hey, this is my strategy. Because you know they're listening. They really care what, what, what I'm saying. I mean, you could be hired on as an independent yeah. pitching like, hey, guru. Hey, Craig Breslow is the director of pitching. But I Smartest man in baseball? Something, well, yes. Uh, but his, he's like director of pitching for the Cubs. Maybe you could be a special assistant to the ace pitching coach. I'm telling you right now, this is what I do. Every single pitcher, I need to start practicing holding the baseball to the last minute. And when that, when that runner thinks, oh, my God, he's not going to throw over, I'm going to go, boom, you throw over. And you need to get this, you need to get this, on tape, as we like to call it. That the other team needs to know that Oakland A's pitchers will hold the ball and throw to the very last second. Scott Emerson says, and it's really all of baseball, this applies. Hitting is timing. Pitching is disruption of timing. 
Well, really, everything is disruption of timing. And the cat-mouse game on first base with a pitcher, I'm talking about a right-hander only. Left-hander, whole different ball game because these guys are balking the whole time, even though, even though they'll tell you, you know, Dallas Braden, we're not balking, you're balking. But they've got a whole different way to do it. I'm talking from a right – I can really speak from a right-hander's perspective. You want that runner to think that, oh, my God, this guy will throw over with one second to go. Now, you only get three, so it's going to be on your first. But throughout the game, whenever they have a threat on base, you need to throw over because that's going to mess them up. Because you, your base dealer is going to think, oh, man, three, two, and he throws over? Uh-oh. Now it's in his head because – the runner is trying to time the pitcher. Ricky Henderson has talked about, I knew the pitcher's timing. I knew his rhythm. Once again, Scott Emerson says, hitting's timing, pitching is the disruption of timing. This is the same thing. Why do guys in baseball over the years, which they're not going to do anymore, would just, as a right-hander, turn and lob it over to first base? And they do it a couple times, and the fans boo. It was about disrupting the timing of the runner. It's just messing with him. That's all you're doing. I'm making it simplistic. You're messing with the runner. Hey, man, get back to first. It's all you're trying to do. So I think it is so important to hold the baseball. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to look over my left shoulder. Look at home plate. Look at my left shoulder. I can see the clock because I'll be able to see really out of the left side of my eye or there's going to the one to the right side. I'll be able to see the clock. Three, two, one, boom, turn and try and get him. Put that so every team thinks, man, ace pitchers will, they're gutsy. Ace pitchers will, they'll wait till the last minute to throw over. Because these pitchers that don't do that are going to get run on at will. These closers who, it's kind of an embarrassment. From a pitching standpoint, it literally is embarrassing that A, they can't field their position, and B, they can't hold runners. It's an embarrassment. It's part of your job. I mean, it's like being a golfer saying, hey, all I do is drive and putt. I have no short game. Like, what? I mean, you've got to be able to, you know, all we do is throw the football. We can't run it. You have to be able to get to the green if after the drive. you got to be able to play. <laughs> you got to be able. It's a position. You have a position to play. You bozo. You can't field your position. You see how many, for some reason, because closers, clo- and I get it, you got to have the big bravado. You got to be that guy that's coming in and I'm going to blow everybody away. You really can't work in the offseason on footwork and how to field your position. You can't work at holding runners. The ego, and it's amazing how we allow them and their egos to do whatever they want. Well, he had 40 saves last year, so we're not saying anything. What? Did anybody work harder than Jerry Rice or Tom Brady? No. And you're going to tell me Bozo Closer, who may be good for two, three years, we can't, hey, man, you need to work on your footwork. You need to work on picking. You need to work on fielding your position. They're going to try and lay bunts on you. You better get off the mound like a cat and be able to throw to third to get people out. You need to do your job. Who, who was one of the greatest athletic pitchers that you would never think it in baseball? He won, like, how many goals? I think 16 gold gloves. Uh, Jim Cott. He was good. I'm thinking oh, you're going Maddox. Maddox is good. Jim Cott. Uh, Zach Greinke. Zach Greinke. We're going to talk about current players. Zach Greinke is an incredible fielding pitcher as well. But Maddox was an 
you look at him now and you're like, how is that guy a major league pitcher and an athlete? Maddox was a great athlete, especially on the mound. Yeah, he was still bags too as a hitter. But Ma- Maddox was so good on defense, building his position where we see it during um, spring training and sometimes even it's yeah more so spring training the the what do they call it the PFP the fielding uh, pitcher fielding place. So it's great. Pitchers but fielding, fielding practice. Practice. Okay. Know the lingo. Well, I wasn't a pitcher, so. Um, but I, I how, love. How many gold gloves did Maddox win? Was it sixteen? I think it was sixteen. Let me see. Jim Cott won sixteen. You didn't know that. You just go to Maddox. You don't even you know Jim Cott is, Kitty. Oh, I, I misspoke. Eighteen time gold. Oh, lover. it's a fraud. <laughs> it really is a fraud. When someone wins this many gold gloves, that's the most lazy thing ever. Uh, How lazy is it where you just everybody? Oh, I'm just voting for the same guy every year. He won a gold glove at age 42 with the Padres and Dodgers. That's, How many games did he play in uh, that year? In 2018, he started 33 games that year. Well, at 42. What? At 42, Greg Maddox started 33 games, and DeGrom started 38 games in three years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you want to tell me how great DeGrom is again? Tell me how great DeGrom is when he – oh, by the way, he threw off the mound. Yeah. Time, Isn't that great? Time to get excited in he Texas. He played catch. How much did they give him? 180-something million. Uh, ooh. It's just it's, – it's a travesty. It's a travesty. But, yeah, I want – that's something that – you know, spring training games, you're not going to show this, right? You don't want to show your cards. You don't want to show all the defense. You just don't want to do that. But I'm telling you, this has been on my mind. That's very, very important is how you're going to utilize your run game and then how you're going to defend the run game. That's huge for us. I mean, unless you're going to figure out how you got to get a bunch of guys hitting 30 bombs on this team, I don't see it. I mean, can you guarantee me anybody even hits 25 on this team? Guarantee me. Probably not. I mean, people will go, well, Seth Brown, because he did it last year. Okay. That was last year. What but do you have? 25. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, one guy, maybe. Hey, maybe, maybe just maybe your guy, Ryan Noda, can get there. You know Ryan Noda's out of options? Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Speaking of players out of options, Pache with another hit yesterday. Up to 370. He listens to the show. Give him credit. When Christian Pache hits, because let's let's just say this: if if the light went on and Christian Pache started hitting, that would be great for us. Yeah, three seventy five now in spring. I know it's spring training, but we're gonna overreact. The Pache hit! Oh my god, it would be incredible. Because we already know he plays defense like a wizard. I mean, if you could have a a outfield that's got Ruiz. And Pache in it. You got two center fielders. Nothing's dropping. You're getting to everything. And it would make some really, really tough decisions for the front office. If Pache, because I got a feeling Pache right now is someone that they have made plans to not have in the organization anymore. Like this spring training, they mentioned it right Force mentioned it. Kotze mentioned it. There's a big there's a big spring for Pache. Okay, so what if he has a big spring? It's gonna make for some tough, tough decisions on are there some veteran guys that now gotta go? Or are you gonna send guys down to Vegas that you really want here? Cause I could tell you, there's no way Mark Kotze is gonna be 
He swallowed the 102 last year because he knew. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. This year's not last year. Mark Kotze's not swallowing 100 losses again like it's nothing. So I got to think Mark Kotze's going to go into that meeting room and he's going to fight for who he thinks that can help him win. Now. Now. When I mean now, you know what now is? No. Today. He's not going to be like, well, this guy's got options. and this. Kotze's not going to want to hear that. And, you know, with the whole thing, you don't hire Rossi if you want a puppet. Thank you, Theo. Um, you got to realize, Mark Kotze, another thing great, if you, remember Grady Fuson's like, you know, a lot of guys, you're just making out the lineup. You don't do that with Mark Kotze. I mean, that's the great thing about having Grady Fuson on. He is so honest, he doesn't even know how honest he is. Because he's been in the game for so long, he doesn't care, right? <laughs> hey, Mark Kotze, I can tell you, remember the Austin Pruitt start? Yeah. The great start of Austin Pruitt. We went five innings. Yeah. they The front office didn't want that. I don't know if I'm speaking at a, at a turn here. But on that day, they did not. They wanted to call somebody else up. Kotze went, nope, this is what I'm going to do. So when Barry Bloom was like, yeah, yeah, are you being told what to do? That's not, that's not who Mark Kotze is. Now, it's a collaboration. And I have no problem with that because everything. I always throw that back to the Warriors. You want your manager in baseball in the Bay Area to call all the shots because that's what the skipper does. But you guys have all been cool that Steve Kerr, Bob Myers, and the core, they agree on all their things, and it's won championships. And we've celebrated that, right? Haven't we celebrated the Warriors as one great big think tank? Yes. We've celebrated it. But now in baseball, nope, can't do that. It's got to be the skipper. No, it's a collaboration. But Mark Kotze is not a guy that, if you know Mark Kotze, he is not somebody that's going to be bullied. And he's not going to be somebody who you're just going to go. You wouldn't hire him if you wanted to be able to go, hey, Jack, this is what we're doing and you're going to do it. You would not hire him. And there's a couple reasons why. Mark Kotze has made enough money. He doesn't need this job. Right? Mark Kotze doesn't have to do this. And Mark Kotze could easily have jobs wherever he wanted. Right? He could have said no and kept his job with the A's. He could easily have a job with the Padres because of his relationship in San Diego. And he could easily be on the staff of Bruce Bochy because Bochy loves him. And he could be on the staff of the Rangers. So Mark Kotze is not somebody who's desperate for a gig. A's got enough cash. And B, uh, there's plenty of places he could go. So you're just not telling Mark Kotze, hey, this is what you're doing. So Austin Pruitt, I could tell you on that day, that was a, hey, no, I'm starting this guy, which was kind of like, what are we doing here? If you remember correctly, that was kind of a, we're starting Austin Pruitt? Yeah, that was a Kotze deal, and it worked out. But Mark Kotze makes a lot more decisions than you think. So Mark Kotze is going to be in that room, and he's going to be, He's going to be saying, hey, I need – I took it last year. I I can just tell you, talking to Kotze this year, Mark Kotze, he knows, hey, he knows they're not winning the division, but he's not going to be a guy that's, uh, let's just say, taking 100 losses easy. He's going to fight for every win. Oh, yes. Sorry, I, was waiting. I, was, I see Marty's connecting. But uh, imagine the upside if Pache ends up hitting and you have um, – 
ST Ruiz, and if J.J. Bleday can live up to his potential, that's a very exciting outfield if that's what they want to go with in the future. You still have Connor Capel, who we know can hit, um, and he's having an, an, a good start to the spring. But Pache starting to hit is a good sign. I know he's out of options. A lot of decisions, and I didn't know about Noda not having options. So that's Noda doesn't that's, have options. That's another one. Noda's here, man. He's Rule Five. He's here to stay. I think you just need to get to get, to get used to that. Between Friday, this is from Forbes and Maury Brown. Between Friday and Sunday, a total of thirty-five spring training games were played, with an average length of two hours and thirty-seven minutes, compared to an average of three hours and one minute for spring training in twenty twenty-two. Out of thirty-five, just six games went over the three-hour mark, or seventeen percent. Of the total, the longest was three games that went 306. In those cases, they saw a total of 19 runs, and then two games with 18. 20 of the 35, which 10 runs combined, in that in those games, uh, 10 runs combined in each game were under three hours. Do we have Ken Korak? Uh, let me add him, but, but we do. Yes. Did did Ken did Ken hear all that? Did you hear all that, Ken? I did, except that the ace played the game that was 306. On a Saturday. Well, I'm just gonna say this. So you, so you got a Chris. No matter how many, you could you could run the timer down to like no seconds, and you've still got to throw strikes, right? Yeah. Because on Saturday the Diamondbacks pitchers walked in and hit two. So no matter how many timers you have, that's still a recipe for a long game. Well, I, I can say this: at all the hours I've listened to you call play-by-play. I'm going to like you better at 2.30 than I am at 3.30. I'm going to like me better, too. <laughs> it's so well my bedtime. <laughs> well, no, it's been interesting because the A's have only had, I think, one violation so far in the first two games. So uh, the pitchers seem to be adapting to it pretty well. You know, when, when somebody does play-by-play and you're constantly, the action's moving in front of you and you're calling it, you're going to feel it more than anybody. So just talk about with the pitch timer, how, how it's been for you. How do you feel the game's flowing? Well, I think it, you know, one thing, it always depended on the pitcher. Like when Cole Irvin pitched for the A's, you had to remind yourself you're not going to weave a lot of stories in between pitches because he didn't need a timer. So I do think it, it you know, one thing we've always we've always recorded those vignettes with Dan Feinstein yeah. that we used during the games, and he profiles a lot of the new players for the A's. Even Dan said, "You know, I'm going to have to go a little shorter this year because there isn't as much time in between, and like we get our promos and drop-ins in, so we do have to be a little more conscious of the pace, but uh, we're not complaining about it." So far, the first two days, what's excited you about watching A's baseball? You know, I, I really think, Chris, and we've always tempered our enthusiasm in the spring, especially because it's only the third game today. And the A's have a lot of talent in this camp. Now, I think some of that talent may still be a year or two away, Chris, but I think we've seen some incremental growth in the organization from that standpoint. Uh, the A's have some really good young players in camp. And I think guys who can impact the game, Chris, that aren't just one-dimensional type players, guys who can run, play defense, hit for power. And, and there's a pretty good blend, I think, too, of uh, veterans as well this year. So uh, I'm really encouraged by, you know, how much of that will, will translate into a, a hugely different season this year. We'll have to wait and see. But I think there's some good talent on the way here for sure. Can you tell already that 
know, whoever the 26 is going to be, but really looking at the 13 position players, when looking at the position players, can you tell that the options are going to be guys who are more athletic? I do think so, for sure. And I also think that you could, you could apply that comment down the road, Chris. Guys like Denzel Clark and Zach Gilloff and Lawrence Butler. Uh, these are some athletic guys, and you, you know, we've always talked about when you win, you have guys who can really impact the game. And I think the A's are developing some impactful players. And then even some of the guys that they brought in, like Jesus Aguilar, I think has some things to prove. Uh, he's a guy that can hit 30 home runs for you. So uh, I think Jace Peterson gives the A's a real veteran third baseman who's an accomplished defensive player. And then you got to hit on these trades, right, Chris? We've talked about that a lot. You, you know, I mean, the A's have made a ton of trades. So, you know, based on my unscientific research, the A's brought in 17 new players in the offseason who I think have a chance and maybe – some of the chances are better than others. Others might be more remote, but 17 guys who at least have an outside chance to make the club who weren't in the organization a year ago. And I've been impressed so far. It's just two innings for each guy. The uh, starters the East got back from the Braves, Chris, yeah. and Freddie Tarnock and uh, Kyle Muller. Muller pitched yesterday, looked really good over in Maryvale. So, uh, you know, the, you, you have to hit on those trades. And I think the A's have. I think I got an idea for a new segment called Canalytics. We'll, we'll have Ken Korak Analytics. Why not, man? Let's do it. Yeah, okay. we're going to come up with your version of data, which could be incredible. It could be, like, really kind of skewed. It could go well beyond anything that you've, like... It's not in the Eno Saras League, that's for sure. No, they're Ken Korak Analytics, so that's all that matters. We, we can make T-shirts. It'd be awesome. The Korak analytics, analytics might be a little twisted, <laughs> right, Chris? <laughs> like a pretzel. So I've asked David Force this. I've asked Mark Kotze. I want to ask you, for you, in your view, how is this camp so far different from what you saw last year? Well, I think, I think one thing, Chris, is that it, there's a sense of normalcy here. That might not apply to the players who are here. And people have talked about this, and really it's it's almost like the first camp that we've had since 2019 that feels a lot more like a normal camp because obviously we've had, we had COVID, of course, and then last year because of the lockout, everything was so condensed and compressed, and we felt badly for Katsi because it was a shortened spring, so you're trying to get your work in and accelerate all that. Then the A's had all the trades that came down um, during spring training last year. So I would say the, the one word would be normalcy. There's a sense of normalcy this year in this camp. Now, the weather is an entirely different story. I know you and the commander and you were down here last week, Chris, but the weather has not been good, for, especially yeah. for Arizona. So people are complaining about the weather right now. Well, you know, people need to understand, especially someone like yourself who's been doing this for many years, that – it's nice for you to call a game and look down and see fans and the ambiance and the sounds and baseball. It means a lot to you. And, and we remind ourselves of that every year, Chris, how lucky we are to work in this game. And I don't want to ever lose that feeling. My first spring training in the big leagues was 31 years ago, 1992 in Florida. 
and I don't want to lose that feeling of that wonderment, right? And the magic of looking out and seeing the green grass and you know all the cliches we talk about renewal, like the the baseball season renews, like the like the cactus that comes alive in Arizona and those cliches. But uh, we should never forget about those things. And for you, it's like players train in the offseason. They're lifting weights. They're throwing bullpens or hitting in cages or hitting on fields. They prepare for spring training. So when they get here, they're ready to rock. But for you, it's not like you're off calling games somewhere else getting ready. So what's it like for Ken Korak, the voice of the Oakland Athletics? I was listening. A lot of us were listening. Where all of a sudden it's like, here it is, game one of spring training, and it's time to turn it on. Well, the biggest challenge is that we're breaking in a rookie broadcaster. So I'm trying to give – I think Johnny left the booth. I want to give him a bad time. But Are you hazing it's him? It's been great because we're breaking in Johnny D, which has been a lot of fun. And quick Bill King story because Bill, who, as we know, was like a master no matter what he was doing. But he would always have this anxiety before the first spring game. Like he would talk a lot about, like, I don't know that I can still do this. <laughs> and Bill, you know, like, like Bill, you've mastered your craft and it's like riding a bike. So we always do kind of wonder about that. And then all of a sudden it's the second inning and you feel like, you know, I think I've done this before a few times. So, But then in the fifth inning, when they bring all the new guys in and guys you've never heard of who are wearing like number 104, then all of a sudden you have this rush of anxiety, like panic sets in because you don't know who's playing. And like, I kind of feel like I could just make up names or just bluff your way through the inning. But then the one guy you don't identify is from Hayward or somewhere and his mother is listening. And so you've got to identify all the guys because the, the fear is he's a, one of the new guys is a local guy on the other team and you haven't identified him and you've got to so we we try our best we feel like we're living on the edge a little bit it is hard to believe that bill king who did all the legendary games in the nfl the nba and all the baseball games could show up to spring training and be freaked out about game one he did no he did <laughs> We had a lot of anxiety over that until we got to Maryvale, the home of the Brewers, Chris. And then he would enjoy the little margarita stand that they had behind home plate there. Hey, nothing wrong with a little swing lube to get ready for your round. <laughs> <laughs> so That's that I remember Harry going to the old wooden, the old ballpark in Scottsdale. It was like a wooden structure. You know, this is half a century ago. And Harry Carey would be there in the spring doing games for the Cubs. And he'd have Budweiser cans lined up on the ledge right in front of his booth out there. I never knew if he was actually drinking them or if they were like a prop just to try to enhance his image, you know. Oh, he was drinking but, them. Uh, he was drinking yeah, them. Probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, with Johnny, there's got to be the hazing. Are, are, is he bringing you coffee and donuts every morning? I mean, what's I hope so. He should. I mean, you're, you're right. breaking them in, right? Yeah, he should. You know, he only spent 30 years in the minor leagues. <laughs> now, we're thrilled to have him. We really are. It's so great to have Johnny with us. And he's paid his dues and... Uh, should have had, should have gotten a full-time job in the big leagues before this, Chris. So he's going to do a great job, and he's he's already it's been a seamless transition. So uh, he's fit really well into our team. 
Well, we were like a little batting practice for you today, warming up. I, I hope you're not going to be nervous for game three of spring. Well, we're looking at, you know, we're actually looking ahead already to tomorrow to see Otani against Fujinami. So you want to see a press box in spring training. You'll be you'll see that tomorrow down here for sure. Are they expecting a big crowd tomorrow because of that game? You know, I don't know. I haven't asked about that. I would think so, especially if the weather is good. But in terms of the the press box, I think literally every seat will be filled in the press box tomorrow for them. You know, I can't wait for that to happen in Oakland. I mean, hopefully we get it. It's always about, you know, health and matchups. But to see these two guys who have known each other for a long time, uh, I think we could see a great crowd to watch these two guys match up. And then also you think about the coverage back in Japan will be huge. Yeah, I mean, they were drafted in the same draft. And they were phenoms when they came up. And their paths have been divergent since then, of course, Chris. But I'm really excited to see Fujinami because we don't really, we've never seen him pitch before. He threw a bullpen the other day down at Fish Park. So, and I think he'll be a little bit nervous, and that might be a good thing to get that out of his system in his first spring game tomorrow. Well, we're excited to hear you coming up here in about 45 minutes. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Okay, buddy. Thanks. The great Ken Korak, the voice of your Oakland Athletics. All righty, we head down to the Valley of the Sun. And he's ready to rock today for you here on A's Cast. And, of course, you'll be able to watch the game, MLD.com. Vince, how are you? I'm doing good. A lot of uh, a lot of buzz today at the camp for sure. You don't normally get this kind of uh, anticipation, third or fourth game of spring training, but considering it's, you know, Shintaro making his A's debut and Otani on the mound before he leaves for the WBC. There's a lot of media, as you would imagine. And it should be fun to see this first couple of innings and see how, you know, Fuji handles kind of, you know, setting sail and what he hopes is going to be a solid big league career. Yeah, you know, we've been over to Japan and we know the passion over there for baseball. It's going to be 5 a.m. in Tokyo and obviously in Japan when, uh, when this game starts. I guarantee you... There's going to be a lot of people waking up early, even though if it's an inning or two, to watch these two guys. This is a big deal worldwide. It is. And, you know, these two are tied together going back to high school and being drafted the same year, both first-round picks in 2012 and, you know, a little bit of uh, time against Major League All-Stars. In 2014, they were teammates. Uh, Shintaro was on the WBC team in 2017. The WBC is getting underway shortly. Japan's won two of those tournaments. They're a, a team that should be considered at least one of the favorites to get to the finals. So that means that Shohei will have uh, more opportunities and maybe more pressure to perform under that environment before the major league season gets underway. But it's all over here at Mesa. It's all about Fujinami and what the A's are going to see. He's built like Otani, uh, which you don't see very often in terms of pitchers in Japan. 6'6". He's got a strong body. We know he throws in the mid-upper 90s. He resurrected a split-fingered fastball with a little more aggressiveness last year, added some spin to the slider. And the thing about Fujinami has been control. That's been the issue his entire Japanese career. Got off to a fast start, actually pitched in their professional major leagues in just his second year, you know, in 2013. So he was on the fast track, then lost command, now trying to get it back. And maybe the A's have really found a true diamond in the rough that could be uh, an emerging star and could be a gate attraction at the Coliseum. 
you know, when watching highlights of him in the WBC from years ago, he just looked like a tall, skinny kid. And then when he showed up to our Jack London uh, offices for the press conference and he walked by me, I was like, damn, this guy, you put some gear on him, he looks like a defensive end. You know, that's the thing, and that really impresses a lot of the scouts that have watched him perform, that he, he is a different-looking type pitcher that comes from Japan. The Japan pitchers typically are six foot, maybe. Uh, they all had that little hesitation in their motion. They all have the splitter. He's got more. He's got the velocity and the splitter. You know, when he walked into that press conference and he his first comments were in English, you got the sense that he understood what he was about to embark upon. He gets it. Uh, he, he has uh, kind of integrated himself in this camp with his new teammates. He's having some fun. Now, certainly we believe he's going to be nervous to a certain degree today. Marcotze alluded to that. You know, kind of get these nerves out of the way. It's going to continue once he makes his first appearance in a game that counts, you know, in uh, late March, early April, and, and go from there. But it's, it's going to take a little bit of time. There's a lot of focus on him, probably more so than any A's pitcher in quite some time. And it'll be fun to see how he performs. He he has the arsenal. You know, he's got the fastball, the split, and the slider. He throws up to 100 miles an hour. And that's a real special gift to have. And to, to see it in the green and gold beginning today is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, getting him comfortable. You know, after his first session where he threw to hitters, we were all there. Uh, Grady Fuson told us that there's a reason why they had a lot of lefties right out of the gate, not righties. It's all about getting him comfortable, and you understand that, you know, this isn't just like a guy getting out there and, and, and tossing a few innings. When you've got the amount of media and, as we talked about, the eyeballs that are going to be on this game, I mean, we saw it with Godzilla. We, we've seen it with Ichiro. We've seen it with different players. It's like the weight of the world is on these guys' shoulders. It's so different for them than everybody else. Yeah, they've got expectations, certainly, from the homeland to perform at a very high level and continue that uh, movement of players from Japan to perform at, you know, on the major league level, you know, Kode Senga is going to be with the New York Mets this year. He signed a long-term contract with them and there's going to be a lot of attention on him and also on Fuji and how these two perform. You know, Senga is a little more accomplished, uh, doesn't quite throw as hard, although he does throw in the mid nineties and he's in a major market in New York. You know, Fuji signed a one-year deal. He can be a free agent after the season. So, there's opportunity for him. There's opportunity for the A's to maybe put together, you know, what they believe could be a budding star for them, somebody that you can really build some things around. We've seen what the Angels have done with Otani off the field, the amount of marketing dollars that he's brought into that organization just by <laughs> performing for them. Now, of course, he's every day because he hits and he pitches every, you know, sixth day. But, you know, those are, those are opportunities that not a lot of teams can take advantage of, and that possibility will exist depending on performance and you know, I'm anxious to see him just have two innings today, uh, go through some adversity, see how he deals with the adversity, see how he deals with some of the pressure. There's no Mike Trout today. Otani is not going to hit. He's just going to pitch. So he doesn't really face a, a prime Angels lap. There's no Rendon here either. Guys that, that the Angels are counting on to, to keep Otani in an Angels uniform beyond this year because that's the talk in their camp is will Otani be a free agent and will he uh, go into free agency and get the mega, mega, mega contract that he deserves with the A's it's about Fujinami stepping in being a part of a rotation and maybe before it's all said and done he might be the ace he's wearing the Japanese ace number the number 11 which carries a lot of pride 
back of the homeland. So hopefully it starts today. Well, you go into the Angels clubhouse and you go to Otani's locker for the Angels and it's an ATM. It's just funneling money to him. So I think there's no way they allow him to leave. He's worth too much, but we will see. So we've had a few games. What stands out to you? What's the, what's the big ones that stand out so far? Lawrence Butler. He's at the top of the list. I mean, he's not going to make the club. And, you know, he's a kid that, you know, played an A ball, played successfully. He was a high school draft out of the Atlanta area. He was a travel team teammate of Michael Harris, who played so well for the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, it'll be fun to see this kid uh, perform as he moves through the system. He was raw when he was signed, and you could see him fill out and become more mature as a player and as a hitter. Now, you can get fooled, obviously, in spring training like you can in September. That's been fun to watch. You know, seeing this team come together, trying to see what Shea can do behind the plate as it becomes his job. You know, the three-for-three three performance over Maryville was a great start for him on Sunday. Uh, that's encouraging. And just trying to see the pitching competition come together. Ken Waldachuk is going to throw behind Fujinami today. Uh, Kyle Muller got off to a good start. Uh, Ken Tarnock got off to a good start. Uh, that's encouraging to see. And th there's more uh, legitimate pitching competition than what the A's probably had last year. And we'll see how the lineup comes together. I'm anxious to see Ruiz play today in center field. That's certainly a, a focus of this club to get him at the top of the lineup and be the igniter and a creator of havoc in a year where you believe that the running game is going to be more in focus. So anxious to see that come together. You know, got off to a good start on Sunday. You know, got on base, stole second. And not many guys can steal second with a head first slide, not know where the ball is, get up and then get to third base. That's pretty special talent. And you want to see more of that. All right. When I was down there, I had it said to me in a lot of different ways. And then we've now gotten a production guide of how the players say their name. Uh, how are you going to pronounce Ruiz's first name? I believe I haven't I haven't looked at the pronunciation guide. It used to be last year Esture. Now it's Esturier, right? Est Esteuri is, is the way we're going. Esteuri Ruiz. Okay. Stay now, tuned. Now we have an email of him saying it, and it's not even close to that. I'm like, I don't, I, I'm just going Esti. I'm giving him a nickname. Yeah. We're going Este Ruiz. Fasty Esti. How about that? <laughs> hey, I, I'm excited, Vince. We grew up when we saw guys steal 80 bags in a season, right? Ace fans remember Ricky Henderson. I, I, I'm just hoping at some point we. If we don't get to that, we get to something close because guys stealing bags is exciting in baseball. When, when you're a fan and that particular type of player gets on base, there's anticipation. Maybe not quite like you know, the old days with you went Cespedes where you stayed in your seat because you knew something dramatic could happen with a bat meeting a long ball. When a guy like Ruiz gets on base and starts to take that lead, and you start thinking about when is he going to go because you know he's going to and what that will be like. Hopefully it's an opportunity for him that he can make the most of. You know, if he's doing well, the A's have a chance to do a lot of a lot, a lot more than what people are expecting in 2022, 2023. You know, we've had kids that have been showcased and, eh, but this, the group of the new Oakland that they're calling themselves. I mean, I think you can definitely see that there is talent to watch and it makes spring, especially for you guys, a lot more fun. Right. You're, if you're an A's fan, you try to determine you know what the core is going to be moving forward. And we talked about this on the air, Ken and I. You see all these different lists, prospect lists, and organizational rankings. It really, in, in a lot of cases, is kind of throwing stuff against the wall and hope it sticks. And for the A's, they've been rated in the bottom third. Part of it is a lot of guys got to the big leagues. Some guys got traded. 
things of that nature. But when you see Lawrence Butler, Zach Yellow, Tyler Soderstrom perform, and there's more coming, we're going to see Hogan Harris pitch today out of the A's system. You know, there, there are other guys. Uh, Denzel Clark is going to play for the Team Canada WBC. So there are some guys coming. They get healthy, continue to perform. Uh, you've got a chance to maybe have some core guys at certain positions and build around that and hopefully get back to the winning ways that A's fans deserve. Is that Iron Man Anthony Rendon there today? He is not. He is not in the lineup today. Shocker. Uh, Phil Nevin says he's back. He's healthy. If you had to buy stock in Anthony Rendon, are you buying or are you selling for 2023? I'm selling right now just based on the history. You have to. I mean, I know he says he's healthy, and he has said that before. Certainly, if he plays 125, 135 games for the Angels, they're going to be good. You know, they need him in the lineup. But the one thing that they've done this year is they've added some protection in their on their roster with veterans like Brandon Drury and Gio Urshela. And in the event that something like this happens and some of their key players go down because they found out how thin their team was on the major league level when those guys got hurt last year. And so they're trying to protect against that. I think there's an awful lot of pressure on the Angels because of Otani. I mean, you, you have to do everything in your power. And even their best player has said that. Mike Trout says, we have to we have to get to the playoffs this year, absolutely, to convince Shohei to stay. And I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that he does stay. The pitching still has some question marks. You know, they brought over Tyler Anderson from the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Not hard throwing, but it certainly was effective for the Dodgers. A lot of left-handers in their rotation behind Otani. They've got some ability, but they haven't really established themselves. And, of course, with with Houston and with Seattle behind them and with the things that the that the Rangers did with their pitching, it's still going to be, you know, a tough row, for, a tough battle for them to get to that position. But it seems like there's going to be a lot of a lot of focus on each and every day for them. And they've got to not just get off to a good start because they did last year. They have to maintain that. When they went in the tank and eventually fired Joe Madden, things went sideways, injuries again. That will not bode well for the Angels this year. Well, they got that super prospect that's been around, it seems like, for 10 years, Joe Adele. Maybe this is the year. Well, he won't even make their club, I don't believe. But <laughs> you're right. I mean, that's a, that, that goes back to what we talked about. You, yeah. The challenge you have with talking about prospects is that they're, you know, they haven't, you know, they haven't proven anything on the major league level. Yes, it's great to have them, and it, it beats the alternative. But this is a hard game, and this is hard at this level. And there are things that you've got to make adjustments to in, in order to be successful up here. They're hoping that Adele can be a guy that eventually can get back up here. He's got some skills, but has been able to translate that to be a full-time player. And they've given him some opportunities. You know, one thing that we always try and tell our fans is how much not only do you study the A's, but how much you study all of Major League Baseball and all the teams. Uh, today, big news at a Dodger camp, Gavin Lux done for the year. I mean, you talk about being thin up the middle. I'm not sure Trace Thompson can play every day center field. I mean, the Dodgers, they've been a powerhouse, but this is going to be an interesting year, don't you think? That was a team that a lot of people looked at and said, why did they not do more during the winter? You knew that Trey Turner was going to leave. He wanted to go back east, and he ended up certainly with a mega contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. They, they have a very deep farm system, as we talked about organizations, that will be tested now. You know, that's the thing about spring training. You want your guys in bubble wrap. You know, Joe Musgrove broke his toe. He's going to be out for a while pitching for the Padres. Uh, the question about Tyler Glass now and the oblique injury he has in a Tampa Bay's camp. You, you need to get out of camp healthy, and those are all key players for their respective teams moving forward. So, you know, 
The A's announced today that Kirby Snead has a bit of an oblique strain. What that means, how much time he'll he'll miss, we don't know. He was in competition for one of the left-hand relievers. That seems to be something that he's going to have to work his way back into, but it creates opportunities for somebody else, and we'll see how that, that plays out. But certainly the Dodgers, who had such a great record last year and have won you know, so many NL West titles in a row, uh, the Padres came after them. and came after them hard, and they feel like this is their year. Be interesting to see how that plays out. Let's end on this. Now that you've done a couple games, have you felt that you got to speed up your stories a little bit? It's getting uh, – the, there isn't certainly as much time as you've had in the past. I think we will certainly find a rhythm, much like the players. That's what spring training is for. That's why you're thankful that they didn't institute these rules in the middle of a season like they did at AAA last year where you just got to hit it. And they are certainly trying to be as – as strict as they can. They're trying to lay the law down from the beginning so everybody does adjust for opening day. There have been, you know, X, X number of violations. The A's had two violations yesterday on the mound. Uh, that stuff will work itself out. Players will find a pace. I think we will as well. We will as well on the air. Have a good call today. All right. Thank you, Tony. The great Vince Catronio join us here on A's Cast Live. Well, as I said earlier, He's now a big muckety-muck with Major League Baseball. What? G- give me the full title. Senior Director of On-Field Operations for Major League Baseball. Well, it is great to have an old friend on. Dan Otero join us, joins us from Major League Baseball. Have you been? It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a real professional hearing that title, but thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, a lot has changed. Just, just tell us, how is life in the uh, – I guess the front offices of Major League Baseball. Um, it's been nice. I've been able to uh, work remotely, live at home, and uh, really have try to have an impact on the game, especially this last year and a half, a lot of those rule changes coming in. Um, it's been an exciting time. So I've been out at uh, spring training. I'm actually at Palm Beach right now watching the Nationals Cardinals, making sure all these uh, rules are uh, being, being applied properly. You know, we're so happy for, for, for you. We, we caught up with Rajay Davis down in San Diego for the winter meetings, of course, former athletic, to see all these former A's being out there and inside baseball, it's really fantastic. And, you know, when I think about your career, covering your career, really Oakland was the spot where you figured it out and you blossomed. Yeah, it was a huge, uh, you know, three years for me. You know, they gave me a a second opportunity in the big leagues, and I can't thank them enough from the front office all the way down to the players, clubhouse staff training staff obviously bob melvin was a great manager still get to see him now every now and then he's doing great things in san diego and kurt young the pitching coach had a big impact on my career so i can't you know thank the oakland organization and the fans enough for you know my three years there and if you remember man all of a sudden you became a workhorse i mean they were giving (laughs) you the ball a ton i mean when you look back at just the volume all the i mean just you can look at the numbers. The numbers speak for themselves. But all of a sudden, you became in, in the midst of being a, on a really good team, and the volume of taking the ball was so impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was so much fun. And those are fun teams to be on. You know, the bullpens down there, we were such a tight-knit group. You know, Balfour down there as a closer, and then Cook and Doolittle. You know, then you brought in Gregerson and Jim Johnson and Jesse Chavez. And, you know, Blevins was there. So it was just an easy group to get in with. Um and my shoulder is definitely feeling that workhorse innings <laughs> that I threw there. But 
you know, it's okay. I don't need to throw the ball anymore. My dog doesn't run very fast, so it's okay. Uh, we've talked about the rule changes for years. And, you know, as someone that talks before the game and especially after the game, I mean, I could just notice over the years, we're just getting longer. I'm getting home later and later. And you just start to think, like, how can you go to work the next day? How can you take your kids? I mean, these games, you know, the average game is 3.04, but we're seeing games that are 3.30, 3.40. They're just too late. And, and I know you guys as players started to really feel it too, how long these games are getting. Just now that we're starting to see it, not from the minor leagues, but actually in spring training games, we're seeing, wow, this pitch timer, we don't call it a, call it a clock, but the pitch <laughs> timer really changes. Even even spring training games that were notoriously way too long. Yeah, I mean, like you said, as a player, you know the games were taking so long, too, and you wanted to get home to your family. So I think it was, you know, something had to be done. Um, and now that we do have the pitch timer, you're seeing it right now in spring training. Like the other day I was here at a game, and it was 2.07, and it was a well-pitched game. Um, you know, even the games that are 10-9, 11-8, you know, they're taking 2.48 or 2.50 as opposed to the 3.50 or 4.07 time. So I think it's been – overwhelmingly positive even from the players you know we're just down in the dugout talking to some cardinals coaches and nationals coaches and they were saying how much the players are adjusting to it and actually love it because they like the crispness of it the pace of it so the fans are going to love it i think the players are going to love it and i think the product on the field is going to be tremendous you know a lot of people don't talk about the health aspect of it some have but not not enough because in a sport where you play every day and you stand around every day People don't think about all the standing around, uh, you, you, the, the, the workouts before. Guys are working out even before batting practice. And then now you're out on your feet all day long, running and sliding and everything. Do you think that less time, faster game will help with less injuries? Well, I mean, I hate to speculate, but I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. But I know based on the research from the minor leagues, injuries actually went down. Um, for some reasons, but one was the bigger bases at first base. So those injuries at first base went down. And then there wasn't a spike in injuries at all in pitchers because of the decreased time in between pitches. So, you know, we're hopeful that it doesn't have a, really a huge impact on injuries. You know, that's the last thing we ever won in this game. But we did see a positive trend, at least around the base at first base. So, you know, I think in that regard, I think it's going to be really good. You know, one thing that I've noticed just watching, not only, you know, watching some of the A's games, but watching these other games on MLB Network is ground ball base hits. They're like all over the place. And actually, our old our old first baseman, Matt Olson, has actually gotten some ground ball base hits to the right side that would wouldn't have happened with shifts. That that was dead for left-handed hitters. What are you, and I know we're not setting defenses right now, so. We'll see, but how much do you think this really, now that we've seen it for a few games, how much is the non-shifting two guys on each side really going to change for the offense, especially left-handed hitters? Um, yeah, well, I always hated spring training because the grounds were so hard. Ground ball base hits went through everywhere, I felt like, and I wanted the dirt, I mean, the grass as high as possible. So I don't know if I would like these rules as a pitcher. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but talking with some infield coaches, you know, they're interested in seeing how they're going to align their defenses based on that because now they can no longer have three on one side of the infield. But, you know, one of the main objectives from eliminating shifts was to create more action. So if we can get more of those ground ball base hits and if left-handed hitters are going to be more apt to just put the ball in play instead of swinging for the fences, I think that achieves that goal. 
you know, base runners action on the bases is what some of these rules are aimed to do. So I'm excited to see what happens. Again, I don't know who's going to be maybe positively affected by it more than others, but I do think overall it's going to be great for the game. Now, the unknown here is stolen bases. Right, we had we saw some guys go way up like we're back in the 80s again, and guys can do. And we just got Ruiz, who he can put up 80 stolen bases in a minor league season. What what are the expectations from Major League Baseball with the new rules? The disengagement can only go over so many times. What does Major League Baseball? What have you guys talked about? What would you like to see from a stolen base standpoint? Well, I, mean, I don't think it's what we would like to see, but what we did see in the minors was an uptick in stolen bases and a big uptick in success rate. Um, so I think Raj right now is actually dusting off his pants, you know, to try to get back out there as a pinch runner somewhere because <laughs> with the limited disengagements, yeah. like you said, you know, base runners could have more of an opportunity to, to take that 90 feet. But at the end of the day, it's going to be strategy and front offices are going to have to make that risk assessment to whether they are going to start allowing their base runners to have that green light all the time. We're hopeful that it does happen because I think fans really want to see it. And I think pitchers are going to have to adjust to maybe now instead of being 1-3-5 to the plate or 1-4, they may have to be in the low 1-3s to eliminate you know, a base dealer. So I think it's going to affect a lot of different parties, but I think it is going to – we are going to see an uptick in stolen bases, which is an exciting play in baseball. I'll tell you what, seeing Rajay Davis in San Diego, he looks like he could still play. I mean, he's get, ready. He's ready. Get him on the phone. I know the Dodgers already got injuries. I, can we see Rajay Davis center field at Chavez Ravine? That would be uh, hilarious, but he definitely looks great. Um, there's always the negative, too. I mean, we can sit here because we're, we're all for it. We want to see the game change. There's the people that don't. But you know what? They'll get used to it. My question would be on the negative. Have you heard anything from coaches, players, or maybe even concerns that they may have about the implementation of these new rules? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime it's an unknown, there's always that concern. And I think a lot of the negatives were before games started. And now that the games have started, I think coaches and players have seen it in action. And I think a lot of those concerns have kind of waned a little bit. You know, there's still the element of once the regular season begins, everything's heightened, you know, how's this going to work out? But by then, everybody will have three or four weeks of it in practice. And so we think it's going to become the norm and everybody's pace is going to pick up. But, yeah, there's always some concerns because it was unknown. But I think a lot of those have already been alleviated just from three or four games in these spring training. Yeah, that's interesting from a standpoint of, like, when you change things in the NFL, you only have four preseason games throughout the years. Now they've changed that. But also, I mean, they only have a handful of preseason games in the NBA. You've got over a month to figure mm-hmm. out, all right, these are the rules. Get your butt in the box. Engage with the pitcher within the before eight seconds. The disengagement, bigger bags, no shifting. I mean, Dan, you got to think. You got over a month to figure it out. If you can't figure it out over a month. <laughs> you have over a month of games, plus you had all offseason because all these rules were, you know, relayed to the clubs right at the end of the season. So, you know, pitchers, coaches, batters, front offices, you know, they've had all offseason to prepare. And, you know, that was the messaging to a lot of these clubs in the offseason is the better you can prepare yourself, that's going to be your competitive advantage you know, with other clubs, if you know these rules. And, you know, we love going around the ballparks right now to 
make sure that all questions are answered, but players are adjusting. You know, they're buying in. They know it's here. They know it's here to stay. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to put a great product on the field. They're the best in the world. How important has it been for Major League Baseball to bring guys like you in so when you go to, like, Cardinals camp or you come to A's camp or Grapefruit League, Cactus League, that players are getting messages from former players and just not executives from New York. How big has that been? Um, I don't know. I guess you have to ask the players when we talk to them. But, uh, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity. It was a very unique opportunity to work on this side. And I think what we do offer is a perspective as a former player. And, you know, we can talk in that same language maybe as the current crop of players. And we know their concerns, you know, because we've been out there. And we have Gregor Blanco here also, and, you know, Rolo Baniez along with Rajay. Um, so, you know, there's quite a bit of experience. And then CeCe Zabathia also helps out quite a bit. You know, so when you have, you know, a guy like Rolo Baniez going to the clubhouse, he gains immediate respect, you know, from players. And when, you know, we're talking, we try to, you know, be truthful to them and be as transparent as we can because that's what we want. We, we want to work in collaboration with the players and ultimately provide such a great game for the fans, you know, because that's what this game is all about too is the fans. I think about the word trust. There hasn't been a whole lot of trust between New York, the commissioner, the owners, Tony Clark, Players Union, and the players. I kind of see your guys' role, and maybe there's going to be more of you down the line, that you kind of help establish that trust because you've now been on both sides. You now get to see the commissioner, owner, slash the business side. Do, do you think your guys' role is starting to help with that trust between the players and the owners? You know, that's the hope, and that's the aim. That was one of the big draws of taking this job, and that's how Raul kind of pitched it to me. And, you know, we love the game of baseball, and I think that's the overall sentiment in the office. Even the, you know, everybody I've met within the commissioner's office loves the game of baseball and wants to see it succeed. You know, so I think that's a, you know, strong similarity across everyone. And, yeah, we hope that there develops that trust so we can work collaboratively with everyone, you know, and at the end of the day, keep growing this game and bringing in more young kids and increasing the fan base and increasing the popularity because, you know, it's been around for 120, 130 years. We want to keep it growing in the right direction, you know, so it's still at the peak, you know, in another 100 years. Well, today we've got a real special game going between the Angels and the Athletics where you have uh, our new Japanese pitcher, Shintaro Fujinami. He likes to be called Fuji, up against Shohei nice. Otani. I mean, you've been a part of these games where you have international stars just how great is this for our game where you got two pitchers that are going to be, be on the mound, even though it could be an inning or two, but you know people on MLB.com are going to be watching worldwide. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing for the game. And what Shohei has done the last few years is unfathomable. I mean, I cannot still put into words how incredible he has been the last two years as a player. To be top five in the Cy Young, top five in the MVP as a hitter, it's just incredible. You know, and it's going to be great to see that matchup. And that's what we're also trying to do in our role is to grow the game into different regions of the world that maybe it's not exposed to yet. So to see that, I think it's going to be great to see. And with the World Baseball Classic coming up, too, it's another, you know, stage where we're going to see players from all across the, oh, the globe, you know, compete on one field, which is, uh, again, great for the sport. 
Whenever we have ex-A's players, we want, we want to know, what are you doing beyond this job with Major League Baseball? How is life for you? What's been going on in, in, in the Otero world? Uh, well, stay busy. I have three young girls, age nine, seven, five. So I stay busy with making breakfast, making lunches as much as I can, you know, doing carpool every now and then to gymnastics. And then just kind of hanging out with the family when I'm home, you know, really relaxing and just stepping away from it as much as I can because I don't have to worry about wins and losses per se as much now in this role, which is another thing I kind of like. They take the stresses off of those big pitches in the you know, top of the ninth inning or something like that. So, you know, it's a lot of family time when I can get it, which uh, I truly enjoy. Yeah, you're waking up and uh, you're not coming in with, with guys on <laughs> and everybody and just fire. It's a fire alarm going on. You don't have to do that anymore. No, when the phone rings, I don't jump anymore. Now it's like, it's okay. I'm, I'm at ease. Well, thanks so much for the time. It's great to see you. Great to hear from you. And let's check in later this season to see how the role's going and how all these rules are being implemented and how things are just better for our game. Yeah, that's the hope. Thanks a lot, Chris. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Take care, Dan. Dan Otero. Good to see Dan, huh? All righty, the editor-in-chief of Athletics Farm. You follow him on Twitter, at Athletics Farm. I follow him, and I took the picture of his tweet, keep an eye on non-roster invitee left-handed pitcher Jake Fishman as a possible replacement for left-handed pitcher Kirby Sneed. You give the stats. You talk about the Marlins. I immediately thought, Bill, I immediately thought Bass Pro Shop sponsorship for the great Jake Fishman. It just goes hand in hand. I, I saw it. I, I think, tell us about Jake Fishman, real deal, because if Kirby Sneed is not able to go, Sam Mole is your only lefty you got going. Now, of course, A.J. Puck down in Miami. Yeah, well, like Cody mentioned, too, uh, Fishman did pitch for the Fish last year, so I think the tie-in is pretty pretty appropriate there. But, yeah, you know, I mean, the A's are really short on left-handed relievers at this point with Puck gone, Sneed down. Sam Mall is the only, you know, really set lefty in the bullpen. Last year, they usually had three guys from the left side. Right now, Maul's the only guy set. I think there's a good chance that J.P. Sears might start the season as a long man and swing man. That's in the a good call. Too. That's a good call. I think that's a, that's a very good chance that that happens. But they're probably still going to need a third guy. And if Snead is down, the, the great thing, Fishman is really – the, the only left-hander left in camp, left-handed reliever, who's got major league experience to fill that role. Um, you know, I think he pitched in about 11 games maybe for the Marlins last year. He had an ERA, I think, around 225 in the minors, struck out uh, about uh, no, um, nine guys per nine innings at AAA last year. Really effective in AAA. Had a little big league experience. If they need someone to step into that role as, a, as another left-hander in the bullpen this year, I think Fishman is the one guy in camp who is best positioned to do that. Uh, he is going to be pitching for Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic, so we might not see as much of him in the A's camp as we'd like. But again, I think you know if you're looking for another left-hander in the bullpen, he's the most likely candidate, just given his resume with Snead going down. Speaking of the fish, did you have you seen who's already hurt down in the fish's camp? You're 
Our friend, uh, Mr. Puck, uh, yes, he has not pitched in a game for uh, for the Marlins yet. He's had a bit of a leg issue. Yeah. You know, you obviously have to wonder if maybe that's one of the reasons the A's made the deal is just, uh, you know, ongoing concerns about his overall health. And um, as talented as a guy might be or as much potential as he might have, if he shows himself to be an ongoing injury risk, you know, that's something you really have to weigh and evaluate. And you have to wonder if that's something that really factored into the A's think. AJ Puck he hasn't he hasn't yet taken the mound there um and uh, you know another former A it was interesting I was just tweeting about last night to his Chad Pinder you know has, has signed a minor league deal with the Reds and he's uh, he's fighting for a role in the Reds camp I think he's probably going to make the Reds opening day roster but interesting to see that that Chad Pinder had to sign a minor league deal with the Reds this offseason yeah we were like oh my god what's going to happen with Chi 30 teams and he got a minor league deal. But, you know, one of the things that's great about what you do for us here on A's Cast, and we always appreciate it, and what A's fans, why they need to follow you, is you've been talking about, hey, everybody, we've got some exciting guys, and I think we're finally getting to see it, right? We're getting to see, okay, hey, Butler's super exciting. Clark's super Damn. exciting. Ruiz now, I mean, you, you, I mean, Ruiz is new, but we've got athletes. We've got exciting athletes. You've been telling us now we're really being able to see it. I think for you as someone who's following it, it's kind of like almost like your kids are growing up in front of your eyes. Yeah, that, no, that's definitely the case. And I've been through this a few times. Like, I remember when Matt Olson and Chad Pinder were, you know, sharing a house with three other guys in Stockton and going down there and talking to them and then eventually seeing them become, you know, the core yeah. of a new A's team. And it is. It's like watching your kids grow up and, uh, you know, uh, uh, join the real world. But now, you know. I just put out my top Ace Farms top 10 prospects list uh, this past week on my uh, athleticsfarm.com site. And the two top guys on my list are Tyler Soderstrom and Zach Geloff, who I've been talking about for a couple years now as being guys who are likely to form the core of this new A's team. And here they are in spring camp with the A's this, this season, this spring, finally able to kind of show people what they're capable of doing. And I think, you know, it's very it's quite possible that by the end of this season, you could see Zach Geloff playing some second base for the A's. Tyler Soderstrom likely maybe playing some first base for the A's, starting to form the core of that new infield for the A's. And like you mentioned, we've got a couple of really exciting young outfielders, Denzel Clark and Lawrence Butler, who could be, you know, two great um, cornerstones of the outfield for the A's in the coming years as well. And I think, You've seen, I think Denzel Clark's four for four in the spring. I think Lawrence Butler's three for four. And every hit he's had has been an extra base hit. Both these guys have speed, power. They're 21, 22 years old. Exciting young players that I think, you know, fans can really uh, get behind. And like I said, uh, Soderstrom and Galoff are just, you know, really professional hitters. I think Soderstrom could end up being a sort of a Matt Olson type in the core of the, the A's lineup. And Geloff is just a really solid hitter who really knows what he's doing at the plate. So just in those four guys, you've got a nice little core there. But but they're not the only ones. There's plenty of other guys around, too. And, and of course, we know about all the young pitching prospects the A's have available to them now with the and the Waldachucks and the Sears and everybody else coming along uh, uh, on that end of things, too. Can I give you a very unfair comp for Soderstrom? Sure. Uh, a, a guy that I love. I got to play against him in college. He was a great A, an MVP. 
I think less of Matt Olson, and I think more of Jason Giambi for Soderstrom. Sure. Hey, you know, I, I think I think we would all be totally happy with either of those. You know, <laughs> uh, I think Soderstrom hasn't shown the penchant for for taking walks that maybe Olson or Giambi has, but he's still very young, and younger guys tend to, you know, be a little more free. But remember, so- Giambi out of college at a Long Beach State. Giambi was a grip it and rip it guy. Giambi wasn't looking to walk. Giambi, yeah. When he was on Team USA and he was a dirtbag at Long Beach State, he was a grip it and rip it guy. He learned how to do that in the A system. He he also didn't have quite so much power when he was younger. No, uh, as, as well too. That really. Well, he was kind of skinny and he wasn't on steroids at the time. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, so we we could speculate as to how that power <laughs> developed. So let's just. It, it wasn't necessarily yeah. there initially, yeah. anyway. Yeah. But uh, but Soderstrom, you know, has really genuine raw power. You know, he led all A's minor leaguers in home runs last year. He had 29 <laughs> home runs, and you know, at just the age of 21, you know, he was uh, he was hitting home runs in um, in Double A at Midland, which is a very hard place to to hit home runs. So Soderstrom's power is is very real, and it's only likely to develop more as he gets older and a little bigger and a little stronger too. Um, so. I mean, I think Soderstrom is obviously a guy you can look forward to, and I think we all agree he's probably not going to end up being a catcher behind the plate, uh, especially with Shea Langoliers, you know, in the fold. But, you know, one thing that could be useful is even if he serves as sort of a third catcher, that's useful because that enables you to allow your regular catcher maybe to DH some days and you got your backup guy starting. And then, you know, if something happens, you've still got Soderstrom able to put on the mitt. Pitch hit. It helps you with pitch hitting. Yeah, absolutely. So just having a guy who's even capable of catching yeah. occasionally like that. Uh, yeah, a legit useful. option. Think- you're, you're a great point. He's a legit – like you could say, all right, Sody, go get the gear. And it's not like, oh, God, you're taking a – you're getting – I mean, he, he just started in a game as a catcher. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like for years – Chad Pinder was considered the A's third catcher, which was obviously an option you didn't want to go to. No. But if you got a guy like Soderstrom, you know, at least if you need to, you can stick him behind the plate. He's got experience. He's been a real catcher. And that's a useful thing as well. But I think, you know, likely you're going to have him at first base. Or, you know, if we've got somebody else we like better at first base, maybe a Ryan Noda, who's good defensively, you could always stick Soderstrom in a corner outfield position too. He's athletic enough to play multiple places around the field. And, you know, as long as his back. You know, they'll find a spot for him. But right now, I mean, he started more games at first base than catcher this last minor league season. So right now, that seems to be the most natural position for him. By the way, after not only did I interview Ryan Noda, but I got to have a long conversation with him in the clubhouse after the interview. He's my new favorite player. I This kid has got bravado. He told us off the air. He's just met me. And I'm like asking him and because, you know, it's a tough situation. He is the heir apparent at first base for the Dodgers. And next you know, they go out and sign Freddie Freeman to a six-year deal. You're blocked, right? So I'm having this conversation with him, and he goes, he goes, yeah, I can play gold glove defense. I went right on. This guy's got <laughs> supreme confidence. He's come out of the gate. He knows he's in a battle. He's come out of the gate swinging it. Uh, the A's might have something, you know, just not, hey, rule five pick, we got to keep him here. They might have a guy who thinks he can be the dude, who thinks he yeah. could be the guy. It could be, I, I'm telling you, I, Bill, I'm a big Nota fan. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that kind of confidence can be contagious, too. I remember when Matt Chapman was drafted, being on a conference call with him, and I asked him something about his game. You know, this is the, the night he was drafted, and he said, I'm the best defensive third baseman in all of college baseball. You know, and, yeah. and normally guys don't, 
talk like that. They try to be humble, you know? And I remember thinking like, wow, this is a guy that really believes in himself, you know? And I like to see that. And I think notice the same thing. And I think, you know, like you said, I don't think he's just some run of the mill rule five pickup. You know, I think he could be kind of a left-handed version of Mark Canna, you know, a guy that the A's picked up not just to take a flyer on, but to really potentially be a staple in their lineup and a guy that can play first base, a guy that couldn't play the corner outfield positions, a guy with power, a guy who can get on base, and a guy with confidence, you know, who can bring a good attitude to the team too. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm definitely thinking Noda could be a, a really solid addition this year, and we could see him you know, as a left-handed uh, hitter at first base for the A's for years to come. And like I said, if Soderstrom's ready, well, one of them can always go to a corner outfield position too. But I'm really excited to see what Ryan Noda can do. I think A's fans should definitely keep an eye on him because if he pans out, that could be an incredibly valuable pickup for the team. I am on athleticsfarm.com right now. I actually emailed it to myself yesterday. Uh, your A's Farm 2023 Top 10 Prospect List and the two guys that relate, we've talked with about Walt Waldachuk being a prospect. I know we got to do it. I don't. He's be, once he outduels Otani on the last day of the year. <laughs> you're not a prospect, but I get it. Uh, Kyle Muller, another guy we interviewed. I don't know if you got to watch it on YouTube or listen to it on A's Cast, but um, when he told us in the interview, I'm done with the minor leagues. Like I'm done. I was like. <laughs> wow, this guy, you talk about confidence. I mean, he's basically he told he told David Force that in the first call. I'm done doing right. this up and down. I'm better than this. I should be in a rotation. And you're talking six seven. He's a he's not a lanky six seven. He's, <laughs> he's a power forward looking type six seven. Kyle, I, I am excited about Kyle Muller of uh, the stuff, but also you can have all the stuff in the world. It's the makeup. Tell us what you have learned about Kyle Muller, because I think a lot of us came away from uh, spring training very impressed. Yeah, I did hear your interview with him, and I heard the confidence uh, he expressed. I think I heard your interviews, all your interviews you did in spring. Boom. So, um, th thank you for putting in that hard work so we could all uh, uh, all enjoy that. But, yeah, Muller, very big. Very, I think he's 6'7", maybe like 250, you know, as you know, not a not a delicate guy. And, no. um <laughs> he, you know, and but one thing that's interesting about him saying he was done with the minor leagues, you know, he's he was drafted out of high school and he's 25 now. So he's been in the minor leagues for a long time. You know, he's had enough of it. And he's I think he's pitched over 200 innings just at the triple A level. So uh, I, th I think maybe he's made about 40 starts in triple A. So he really has had enough, you know, <laughs> and it's time for him to show what he could do in the major leagues. Uh, you know, he's got a good fastball, good slider. Uh, decent uh, curveball. You know, he, the main problem he's had when he's been in the majors is just control. You know, he's walked a few too many guys. So if he can kind of harness his stuff and uh, command the ball a little better, um, there's no reason he shouldn't have the stuff to succeed. And it's good to see him expressing that confidence. I think also he's probably going to get a nice, a nice regular opportunity with the A's. With the Braves, he was kind of up and down, make a spot start here, go back to AAA. You know, for pitchers, it's so much about rhythm, you know, and getting comfortable. So um, I think if he's able to just make a start every fifth day here for the A's, he's going to be able to get into a nice comfort zone. But he and Waldachuk are the two most promising pitching prospects currently in the league. I mean, currently for the A's, I had them ranked three and four on my top prospects list. And I think those are the two guys that are the most promising going 
forward for the A's, but there's plenty of, plenty of other guys in the mix as well. But I think Muller and Waldachuk are going to be the most exciting guys to watch, um, you know, going forward this season anyway. Did you get to see Shintaro's outing yesterday at all? You know, I didn't see it. I just read about it after the fact, and I heard you talking about it a little bit. And that was always the concern with him, again, too, was was the control. I mean, I think from what I heard, his stuff looked really good. It was just, you know, where he's putting it was was the only issue. And, you know, that's the case with a lot of guys. You know, if they can't command the ball you know, no matter how good their stuff is, it's good. Things are going to be a little tricky. So that's going to be the test with him. You know, can, can he command his, his stuff and put it where it needs to be um, in the zone or outside the zone? Coming up here at the top of the hour, Daniel Susak, first round pick out of the University of Arizona. You talk about another big dude. There's a lot of big guys in camp. If a basketball game breaks out, I kind of like our chances. We got a bunch of, like, power, small to, to power forwards on the team. But he's a big kid, and I know he can swing it, and they're high on him. Langoliers right now is the heir apparent. But how do you see the growth, and how do you see looking forward for Daniel Susak? Yeah, you know, he he was there, the A's top pick last year. They obviously liked him a lot. They didn't think he was going to be available to him uh, where they picked in the draft, so they were pleasantly surprised that he was even available there. Like you said, he's a big catcher. I think he's 6'4", kind of a Matt Weeders type. And, you know, they like him on both sides of the ball. You know, he's got a really strong throwing arm, which obviously is really, you know, important for a catcher. Well, as a quarterback. Um, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like Joe Maurer, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, he's he's a big, strong guy. He's got a, a big arm and he showed a lot of power in college and a lot of home runs, a lot of doubles in college. And um, his first, um, you know, this after he was drafted, he got in about 100 at bats in Stockton. I think he hit around 280, 290. The A's feel good about him with the bat. They feel good about him behind the plate. So, you know, you got a catcher with offensive potential who can also handle the job defensively behind the plate. And he's just a big, strong guy. And, you know, his brother, uh, Andrew, was a, a major league catcher as well. So, you know, he's kind of got that catching bloodlines. He's grown up around it. He, he knows what it's about to do that job. First-round pick, obviously full of potential. So, you know, he'll have this will be his first full season in pro ball this year. So that'll be our first real good look to see what he does. But, you know, I think he could be coming up in, you know, in a few years. And, you know, by that time, you know, who knows where the A's will be at, but uh, um, they might be ready to deal Shea Langoliers back to the Braves for a, for a package of pitching prospects, you know? So, so who's to say, you know? Well, Langoliers <laughs> has to prove he can play at this level. So it's like we, we, we've just – we've anointed him. But, yeah, you still got to play at this level. And, you know, a lot of people are high on Susak. So I'm not going to be shocked if someday he's the starting catcher for the Oakland Athletics. Just going through some of the guys that you have on the list. You know, another guy that no one's talking about, but he just lets the stats do the talking. Uh, we don't have a defensive position for him, but not not a lot of people are bringing up Jordan Diaz when we're looking at broadcasts or we're talking about previews. But I'm not forgetting him because I know he's young and he can swing it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing about uh, Diaz is he's just really a professional hitter. I mean, he he – he really puts the bat on the ball. He makes so much contact and he hits the ball hard, which is a, a you know, is a really good combination. You know, he could both, he's both a contact hitter and a bit of a power hitter. The questions, um, I mean, obviously the question with him is positionally where he's going to end up. You know, he, he, he's played a little first, a little third, a little second, doesn't really fit perfectly well anywhere. Probably best. It looks like we've got some other 
star. So, you know, maybe he ends up as a DH, which kind of diminishes his value. But but the bat is real. He's only 22 years old. He was 21 most of last season. And he, you know, he led the A's minor league uh, in hits and doubles and, you know, just had a really tremendous season last year. He can hit. The one one problem with him is he does he makes such good contact. He swings at a few too many pitches, but he tends to hit them. And what happened last year is he led all ace minor leaguers in double plays grounded into. I think he grounded into about 18 double plays. So I think with 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 Diaz, the key thing is just learn to be a little more selective just because you can put the bat on every pitch doesn't mean you should, you know, I think if he just lays off and becomes a little more selective and waits for the pitches, he can really do some damage with, um, then he can become a really productive hitter. But again, where he's going to play positionally is a question mark kind of reminds me of the old Renato Nunez situation with the A's. Um, but I think Diaz is a little better hitter overall, maybe not quite so much power as Nunez had, but maybe a better, uh, better hitter overall, still just 22, so he's got time to learn. He'll still be 22 through most of this upcoming season. I think it's probably likely that he ends up starting the season at AAA. He could make the A's roster, depending on things go this spring. But I think most likely he starts a season at AAA. And then depending on what he does there, you know, maybe waits for an opportunity to uh, uh, rejoin the A's sometime uh, later during the season. Well, there's that family that everybody tried to say you got to be more selective, but it worked out for the Guerrero family. Uh, Vladimir, uh, <laughs> I think he's still swinging at balls over his head. and. and, and <laughs> and Junior's going to be okay. I think he's going to have a uh, decent little career there in Toronto. Let's end on this. Going forward, we've now started to see some of the players. What's the storyline you're really interested in the rest of spring? Well, you know, it's it's just – there are so many interesting stories, really, I think, particularly because you have so many versatile players on the A's. Nobody's quite sure where everybody's going to end up playing. True, yeah. You know, I, I, what's been interesting to me is that uh, Aledmus Diaz has started half the A's spring training games as a starting shortstop. You know, are they looking at maybe potentially, you know, having him start against maybe a fair number of right-handers at shortstop and and not having Nick Allen in there every day? That's kind of been an interesting Lately. But I think how the outfield breaks down is really uh, going to be interesting because you've got guys like Asturi Ruiz, who you said, you know, very exciting guy on the base paths. Can he hit enough to be in there every day at the top of the lineup to be able to utilize that speed? Then also, what do they do with Christian Pache? You know, no. um, he's out of he's out of options. You know, they got to no. do something with your friend. I think I think they'd love to to find a trading partner to you know to get something for him, but can they do that? And what happens if we get to the end of the spring and he's still on the roster and out of office? You know, and then you've got Ramon Laureano coming back. What's he capable of? So he'd love to play center field, but it looks like the A's probably want to put him in right. And then of course you've got Seth Brown in the mix out there. And then I think they're going to carry one of these two left-handed hitting outfielders as well, Connor Capel or uh, JJ Blade. Probably one of those guys is going to make the roster. That's an interesting battle. Uh, personally, I think I think Connor Capel's probably a, a more advanced hitter at this point. I think Blade has a little more to work on. That it'd probably be good for him to start out at Vegas and refine his skills a little bit. But uh, I think Capel's gotten on base like six out of the seven times he's come to the plate this spring or something. And um, so you've got a lot of these guys in the outfield mix. And, you know, how that's all going to play out, I think, is inter is going to be very interesting. And then with where some of these little guys are going to end up, I think Jace Peterson's going to be 
playing the majority of the time at third base, but where's Oledmus Diaz going to going to be at? Is he going to be playing some second, some short, some outfield, some DH, uh, some third? Uh, you know, there, there's a lot to be sorted out, and I think the A's are going to full advantage of all the time this spring to figure out exactly to do with all these pieces all right well i i i get now you brought up pache all right all right so now <laughs> i didn't mean to get you get you started here. <laughs> now, now that we know he's out of options if you are a rival general manager and the a's call you knowing that he's out of options are you really going to trade for him yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I think, I think if you're a rival GM, you, you're looking to pl- pick him up for nothing and take a flyer on him. You know, yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it. I, you know, I think even even Mark Kotze made some comment uh, early this spring when they somebody asked him about Pache, and he said something like, "Well, he'll have a lot to, you know, to try to prove this spring for us and 29 other teams." Or he, you know, he specifically made some reference to 29 other teams, which you know tells me obviously there there have been conversations about you know what you're going to do with this guy so um i you know if if they can trade him and get get something for him i i think they'd probably be down to do it but you know maybe if they can't get anything you know when he they're like well fourth outfielder we can put him in the lineup against left-handers and and see how he does but you know i i think they'd like to get something for him rather than just you know dump him you know on the waiver wire for nothing um so we'll that you know again that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because if he's still with the team start of the season he's probably going to be be on the major league roster if he's not then that opens up a door to you know maybe another right-handed hitter like uh uh, Dermis Garcia, maybe a Jordan Diaz, maybe a Brent Rooker, uh, maybe a Kevin Smith, you know. Uh, so what happens with Pache could affect a lot of other uh, guys' uh, futures with the team as well. So that'll be an interesting story to follow what happens with him. Great stuff as always. We'll be following. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks a lot, Tony. Take care. Bill Moriarty does a great job covering the athletics and their minor league system. All righty, it's time to break down the Colorado Rockies with Ryan Spillbores, the pride of Santa Barbara. And he joins us here once again on A's Cast Live. It's great to have you. And, you know, before we start talking about the Colorado Rockies, we always bring up what great job you guys are doing on Sirius XM. Uh, we have a lot of your guys on. We're just with Jim Duquette down in Arizona. I had to take Farron to dinner while we were down there. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Oh, That's like, not, that is not very much fun when you have to take Mike Farron to dinner. And I got to pay. You know it's not cheap when you take that guy out to dinner. <laughs> um, but the show you do, Loud Outs, it's usually the show I'm listening to on the way to the ballpark. Obviously, C.J. Nikowski is a friend of our program with the Rangers. He's in town multiple times a year. Brad Lidge. I love your guys' show. It's the show that's hosted by former players. And as we always get perspective by guys who weren't players, or even I love Power, I, I love Power Alley. I mean, in fact, you got a former GM, but you guys doing it as players. Just talk about how really how special your guys' show is, and it's, and it's a very unique view of our game. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, we, you know, when it when it was brought to our attention, I really wanted to continue to like get better at broadcasting. I wanted to work on the craft. And so about seven years ago, uh, as I was getting into my career at MLB Network Radio, I asked our program director, Jordan Greenberg, if there was a possibility that we could do a, a players hosted show. I wanted to see if I could if I could host a show. And he loved it. He was like, we haven't had that since uh, Kevin Kennedy and um, and Rob Dibble, 
And I was like, oh, wow. cool. I was like, let's do it. Let's do it. So I didn't know who my co-host was going to be. And uh, I ended up, you know, you're going to get paired with CJ Nikowski. You're going to start on Saturday mornings at eight o'clock. I was like, perfect. Uh, that way we could we could cut our teeth. And it was kind of like a nice little uh, experimental ground for us to, to work on our craft. And CJ and I worked for about four years. And this was before people were using Zoom as we're doing right now. We almost we would connect on a on a device which is called an access unit, and so I could be in Denver, he could be in Atlanta, and then we'd just hear our voices. And so we never met each other for years. For four years, we're working every Saturday, and we never met each other. And we had you know we we were uh, we knew about each other's families and our wives and our kids, and like we were we were becoming like really good buddies. But just through work, just through this this uh, this call-in show, and it, it developed into a really nice friendship. We finally met back in 2019. I joked like that's probably the most nervous I've ever been to meet somebody. Like I'm not starstruck at all, but to to meet the person, it was almost like a long lost pen pal or like a long distance relationship with somebody that you've never met. And I, I didn't know how tall CJ was. I didn't Big know what dude. color his eyes were going to be. I didn't yeah. know any of these things. So it was great. And uh, yeah, it's it's turned into a really fun show. And, and I also think from from our perspective, and you get this, Chris, like broadcasting and the craft of it, it's not like baseball. It takes a really, 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 really long time to get good at it. And it's not something that's natural for most people. It's not something that's natural even for broadcasters. It just takes time. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, we always joke with CJ and we love having him on the show. It's, you know, he's played for almost every team, including Korea. So there's like nothing you can't ask him. Uh, but your guys show it, it's second to nine. Keep doing a great job. Uh, before we get into, I, I know Brendan Rogers has gotten hurt and that's not good. And talking about Chris Bryant and the Rockies, there's two things that I want to address with you that I think people don't understand. Number one, how tough it is to play in elevation. I, I, I know a little bit about this. I used to work for the Oakland Raiders. We came there every single year to play the Denver Broncos. And talking to Broncos people, just playing in elevation, everybody just thinks, oh, you get up to the plate, everybody's hitting jacks, you're putting up big, big numbers. People don't understand health-wise playing in elevation, then going to sea level, doing that throughout a year is so hard on people's bodies educate people that playing in denver isn't isn't as easy as people think it is no it's not you come to denver you have an ipa you're hammered you walk <laughs> up the stairs you're winded and and i'll take it away from baseball because yeah. i think most people will understand this nhl the abs they have a better win-loss record at home in the last 10 years than virtually any other hockey team i wonder why same with the Nuggets. And when you come and watch an NBA game, a, a team like, let's say, the Lakers, a big Lakers fan, this happens all the time. You'll hear LeBron James, Anthony Davis, these these players will not play in Denver. Why? Why would, why would the NBA not play games in Denver? Because it's been proven that the players that come here, it impacts their body so much, not just for that one game. They get ran out of the gym almost every time but it impacts them for the days after. So if, if NBA teams are doing this, if NHL teams are noticing a difference, if the NFL sees the same thing, people get ran out of the stadium in Denver. Do you also wonder why the U.S. Olympic training facilities in Colorado Springs, 
Like anybody ever wonder why that's there? Yeah. It's because the elevation training at elevation makes it easier for when you go to anywhere else besides here. So you have every single sport is telling you playing at elevation has the, has an impact on your body. And so why would it be any different for a baseball game? And imagine extrapolating a 10 game homestand for a baseball team. The first couple of days, it takes a little bit of, of time to get adjusted. Then you're adjusted. You have other teams coming in. Then you go back on the road. It, it just, it, it turns into something that very few teams in major league baseball have. I will point this out for you, Chris, and you'll appreciate it. There's three teams in major league baseball that have truly like an outside variable. It used to be the Texas Rangers with heat. Oh, heat in the summer with Texas, they would fall like flies. They, they, yeah. they literally would. You could look up their uh, injury list history from summer months and they, they would lead major league baseball. Seattle with their travel. They have more travel than any team in Major League Baseball, Seattle, and then Colorado with the altitude. So now you're down to two teams in Seattle and, and Colorado that have two variables nobody else deals with. It's fact. And, and you know, you look at boxers, whether it was Mike Tyson, Oscar De La Hoya would always go up to Big Bear to train before their big matches. I mean, there's a reason why. But, yeah, the health process, uh, it, it is brutal. Then the other one I wanted to bring up is – there's 30 teams in Major League Baseball. Baseball put a team in Denver. We want players to play and spend their entire career with a place. I believe Todd Helton should be a Baseball Hall of Famer. Uh, always loved my time with him. He's a great guy. I mean, we talked Peyton Manning in the University of Tennessee with him. He just, <laughs> he's great to have on the show. But what a great player, defender, offensive player. And Larry Walker was the same thing. Like, people want to start penalizing guys for playing in Denver. And it's like, wait a minute, if we're going to put a franchise there and we want players to spend their entire career there and be a part of the community, that's what we encourage. We don't want guys going all, to all these different organizations and being mercenaries. You then can't turn around at the end of their career and then bang them for it and say, yeah, we're not going to vote for them. I just think that's wrong. I know how much help means to you. I, I just think it's wrong that we look at a guy like Todd Helton who did everything right and we're now going to penalize him for playing at Coors Field. Well, and that's that's more of a media bias in, than actual, you know, players that have played against Todd don't look at him as as not a Hall of Famer. It's media bias. It's it's East Coast bias. We're in a different time zone. Uh, people will point at, you know, the home road splits. And then I say, OK, um, all right, you want to play that game? You're going to say that this guy benefited from home road splits. OK, then let's look at the road splits. Let's truly look at them. And his road splits are better than many Hall of Famers. His OPS numbers on the road are better than many Hall of Famers, better than Ryan Sandberg. You can go better than Tony Gwynn. I mean, like you get you could start throwing names out there and people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't you can't do that. You can't say he's better than Tony Gwynn. I was like, really? Then look up the numbers and then compare them. I, I get it. Todd didn't have 3000 hits. And I'm never saying that that Tony Gwynn isn't one of the best hitters I've ever seen because he was. But when you start really digging into those numbers, that East Coast bias, the mountain time zone bias, the Coors Field bias, it really should be gone. We have enough neutralized stats that show the true story and the true value of, of Todd Helton. So I think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, and, you know, anybody that wants to make an argument against him, you better come with your facts. You better come with facts because I will come back with some too. You know, I, I look at the start of the season. You know, the big but the big news was L.A. losing Gavin Lux. But in division, uh, Brendan Rodgers going down with the dislocated shoulder. 
uh, could need surgery. Where are we with that? That's that's huge news out of your camp. Yeah, it's too early to tell. I mean, I, I think the Rockies are not optimistic. They're very. I, I think they're they're the. It looks bleak at this moment, but it's also early. Usually when you have some sort of shoulder displacement, you do have shoulder inflammation. You just kind of have to wait uh, before, you know, jumping to a conclusion that he's going to have to have surgery. We do know that Lucas Gilbreth, another reliever for the Rockies, is going to have Tommy John. Uh, so that's not good news. That happened today. So, yeah, the Rockies are in a bad spot, especially if they lose Brendan Rogers. Rogers was part of a trade discussion this offseason. Uh I, I thought maybe he might be a trade candidate at some point. And if they don't have that asset, it's clear that they're not going to move him as well. So that's, that is a, it's a, it's a, it's a devastating blow for the Rockies because they can't afford to lose any of their uh, everyday position players, especially when they have some sort of trade value as well. You, you look at Bryant, you know, we got to know him a little bit when he came out here, played for the giants. Everybody loved him obviously in Chicago. He signs that big deal and then can't stay healthy. And that's got to be brutal. Like, you sign this mega deal, you finally sign it, you make a commitment to a franchise, you want to be the franchise guy. Obviously, the ghost of Arenado is still there, and you only play in 45 games. Just how tough was this year for him, and how big is year two for him there in Denver? Well, it's funny. Uh, I mean, if you ask him, he said it was his best baseball year he's had. <laughs> as far as, like, <laughs> no pressure, mental state, family, new family members. His wife gave birth to, to a set of twins. So from like his personal lifestyle standpoint and life, he said that was the most enjoyable year he's ever had. Uh, from the Rockies perspective, that can't happen. You need to have Chris Bryant. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the first year of, of a long-term contract. I think the Rockies are trying to forget. Uh, Rockies fans are trying to forget what happened with Nolan, but it's unforgettable. Nolan will be a future Hall of Famer. And so, like, there's no replacing him no matter what. And we've said this, like, the Arenado trade is always going to be a black eye on the Rockies. There's no, there's no way to, no matter what. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. You got a future Hall of Famer that you traded away. And so, like, that's, that's just going to be the fan sentiment. And I agree with it. I mean, I feel the same way. So when it comes to Chris Bryant, I don't think he has to fill in anybody's shoes. I just think he has to play. Um, and so, so far he's off to a really nice camp and uh, it would just be nice to keep him on the field for as long as possible. You know, we've had Dan O'Dowd on this program now with MLB Network, former GM of the Rockies, got the Rockies to the World Series. And we had a little conversation about this and, and I'm really interested how you feel about this. If you had a blueprint because the field there in Denver, I've been on it. It's amazing how big it is, uh, the kind of speed that you need. We've already talked about the wear and tear of elevation. But if you could build a blueprint pitching-wise, position player-wise, what would that be to make the Rockies a winner and have a sustainable winner? Uh, I, I mean, it's not going to be the same thing every single year. That's that's. I mean, sometimes you'll have good pitching. You, you're going to be short on offense. Other years, you're going to have good offense and short on pitching. So I, I think I think with Colorado, you have to be more nimble than most. Um, they are a top 15 in in salary uh, by a franchise, which might surprise people. They actually spend more money this year than the St. Louis Cardinals. So I I, I do think when it comes to outfield play. I'm a huge advocate for outfield play, especially at Coors Field. Majority of baseballs, you think, like, you hit a ball in the air, it's a homer. It's not true. There's more balls hit in front of outfielders than there are over the heads of outfielders. So I am a 
advocate if if I was to use let's say like Oakland's model or Tampa Bay's model um, just in a different way Tampa uses relievers young controllable relievers and runs them over and over and over again through their bullpen I would probably do the same thing with center field I would probably look at center field as a youthful spot where I want my center fielder fast I don't care about the offensive numbers and I just have somebody go get it. And uh, we know that over time at, at Coors Field, as we've already talked about, the wear and tear on the body. If you have young center fielders, 23, 24, 25, 26, then they get into that arbitration eligible and even the free agency, you can let them go uh, and just recirculate. And so there's there's one way that you can, ha- you can have a little bit better um, defensive efficiency in the outfield. And then as far as position players, I think you have to be willing to trade position players. I, I don't think the Rockies have in the in years past. And you do have to go out and acquire pitchers because most pitchers, they're not going to sign as a free agent. So you have to trade for them. Yeah, that's so true. Get a free the, the days of Daryl Kyle and Mike Hampton. I mean, that that's it's tough to get guys to go there. Uh, let's end on this. You know, for us. You know, we're in retool mode, obviously. You know, we we go in our runs. You know, we had 18, 19, 20. We had 12, 13, 14. And then after that, you know, we start a retool. But we got some young guys who a lot of people don't know about, but they are exciting. We got some athletes. We got the new rules. I think, you know, the A's, we've always relied on home runs and walks. I think we're going to be stealing a lot of bags this year. For the Rockies, what makes you excited for this camp? What 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 are some names? What are some guys where you go? Hey, when you guys are watching on TV, this is what we should be looking for. Uh, I mean, there's some really nice. Uh, first off, there's they've had really nice veteran pitchers for a while. Kyle Freeland's pitched really well. Herman Marcus has pitched really well there. Those are those are really fun arms. Daniel Bard last season got an MVP vote. And if you're like, what? How did a closer get an MVP vote? Yeah. Because there was three pitchers in all Major League Baseball that had over 30 saves, had the like over 70 innings pitched, and and like a certain strikeout rate. It was like Edwin Diaz, uh, the the kid from Cleveland, the Guardians, and and Daniel Bart. So like there is some really good pitching with the Rockies, young pitching. Ryan Feltner is pretty exciting. Um, we also have this kid that's going to play shortstop this year named Ezekiel Tovar uh, that lit the double a on fire last year and then a really kind of like hair on fire type player zach veen uh who i believe is leading spring training in stolen bases so there there are some good athletes there are some good pitching um but this division is really difficult i think if there's going to be anything that benefits the rockies and oakland this year it's going to be the new schedule so not having to take on the astros 19 times or the Mariners 19 <laughs> times uh, I think he's going to benefit just like the Rockies are going to benefit not facing the Dodgers and the Giants 19 times over the course of a year. Yeah, I mean, I, I look back at uh, Torrey Lavella we love down in Arizona. He's a former A. You take their record against the Dodgers out, they're over 500. They had, yeah. like, they had a pretty good year. But all mm-hmm. of a sudden you throw that record against the Dodgers and they're under 500 and you're like, I mean, it's just certain teams. Same thing with the uh, Mariners last year. Got hammered by the Astros. It, it, they got in the playoffs, but, you know, playing – Playing the team that hammers you the most less does not hurt. Yeah, exactly. So I'm glad I'm glad to see that change. I think that's that's something a, a lot of A's fans, Rockies fans, are going to enjoy is seeing other teams that are aren't the Dodgers, Giants, Astros, Mariners. Well, we truly appreciate the time. We always like having you on the program. Just want to let you know we're always out there. Uh, 
uh, promoting Sirius XM, the channel. It's second to none when you're driving in your car, and I, I promote it. Hey, it's like The Athletic. You want great journalism, you got to subscribe to it. You, you want a great product, and you want to listen to baseball, Channel 89. Also for football, I love Channel 88. I mean, it's worth subscribing to ter- terrestrial radio. Eh, it's, it's got its issues, but uh, we're always listening to you. I'm listening to you on the way to the ballpark. Your show is fantastic, and let's do this again soon. Okay, anytime, Tony. I appreciate it. Ryan Spielborg, Spilly, join us right here on A's Cast Live, breaking down the Colorado Rockies. All righty, it is time to preview the San Francisco Giants with a radio Hall of Famer, a Bay Area radio Hall of Famer. A's fans, you know all his great work for all these years, being around the A's broadcast. Now what he does with the San Francisco Giants Uh, When you think about a baseball historian, when you think about somebody that knows the game, whether it's the big league level down to the minor league level, his work about the PCL has been absolutely incredible. There is nobody like the great Marty Lurie, and he joins us here on A's Cast Live. How are you down there in the Valley of the Sun? Very good. I'm the only guy who can tell you who played shortstop next to your grandfather in 1948, so you know that. Fact. Fact. Alvin Dark, Rookie of the Year. I I, I said before <laughs> before you were here, I said, Marty has sent me so much stuff about my grandfather that I've passed on to my brother and my cousin. Uh, it, the, baseball history has been something for you. It's been a passion. The way I think you see with people who are like professors in college of history and whether you love World War One or it's World War Two or whatever, uh, whatever thing in history that you love, certain cultures, that for you has been like baseball. Like if there was a baseball class to teach, you could roll right in and do baseball history at any university. Yeah, it's beautiful because that's what baseball is all about. It's generational it builds on the shoulders of the first generation, the second, the third, the fourth. And that's what connects us. And it's like a religion. We love the stories. And it's an unconditional friend. It's always there when we need it. And it's going to show up uh, in March. And we're going to have this story that will take us right through the end of the end of October, November. And baseball has always been changing. We're going to change a lot with these new rules. But when you think about all the different decades of baseball, if you had to say which one was actually, I'm not going to say the best played, but the most (laughs) entertaining, which decade of baseball, in your opinion, was the most entertaining? The 60s. Uh, I think the 60s are unbelievable. The American League finally was sort of catching up with African-American players and players of color. And the National League, of course, had done that well in advance of the American League. But when you look at the players who played in the 60s, I think that was the toughest decade of Major League Baseball that we had ever seen because it was such a difference in the 50s. The 60s, the stars really came out. The Hall of Famers really came out. So I'd say the 60s for me. Well, and, 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 you know, I try to tell people all the time, Marty, that baseball has changed so much. Like back in the day, you had a commissioner, but like truly the two leagues – were different. The umpires were different. They both had their own. They both had their own presidents. I mean, you had two. They were different from each other. Like now, like you try and think like football, basketball, baseball. Everybody plays everybody. But back in the day, these these two leagues, the National League and the American League, 
we're truly separate and different. It's wild. Well, they had a real rivalry. Uh, it was a big deal to win the All-Star game. The league presidents would come in and make a speech before the All-Star game. <laughs> if, you, if you listen to an All-Star game in 1958, for instance, uh, it's 4-3 American League. It's the eighth inning. And Mantle is still in the game. Mays is still in the game. Musial's in the game. Banks is in the game. That's the way the All-Star game was played in those days. But you bring up a good point about the umpires. The American League umpires had the balloon chest protector, the outside chest protector, so they couldn't get down and see the low pitch as well. So the American League was known as a high-pitch, high-strike league, and the National League was known as a low-strike league. So that was different at that point as well. But we had different league presidents, different umpires, uh, and different ballparks. And the whole thing was different. Spring training, you may see some teams play each other. But when that World Series came around, you had never seen the team play the other team before. And it really was, how is how the heck are the A's going to match up with the Dodgers? How are they going to match up with the Giants? You only had spring training to go by. And that that made the World Series really special. No doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, we start thinking about the legendary matchups and the legendary players. They would only face each other one time. I mean, you think about the great Hank Aaron uh, going up against the New York Yankees. Hank Aaron didn't have a lot of postseason, but when he did, he hammered the Yankees. It's those special moments, but uh, I do like that. I do like that all the kids and everybody now, you get to see everybody. I remember the uh-huh. I mean, thing about this, Marty. I, I, had, I had never seen the Yankees with my own eyes until I came to play baseball at San Jose State. My first game ever was A's Yankees at the Coliseum. It was the first time I'd ever seen the New York Yankees, and I was, what, 18, 19 years old. Yeah, we're, we are very, very, very lucky to be in the Bay Area. Uh, with a two-team market, the fact that we can see American League, see National League. But now with the new schedule, we're going to see everybody. And that's okay. I have no problem with it. I think baseball is universal. It does make it interesting to every other year you're going to get a home game uh, with the Yankees or with the Orioles or a team that's really coming on. We still have the rivalry between the A's and the Giants. We'll have four games with them this year. But the fact that we're going to play everybody in the other league, seven home, seven away, three-game series, I think it's terrific. I really look forward to it. As a baseball historian, I remember a few years ago we were doing an interview with you, and you really educated us when people are talking about, ah, you can't change in baseball. And you were like, no, they've always changed in baseball. That baseball is always changing. So, yeah, we have new rules. We have new stuff going on. But our sport's always been doing that. No, absolutely. Uh, They changed the ball, and they would never tell you. And then there was a point in time when they did tell you. In 1930, if you look at all the statistics of 1930, the great A's teams of 29, 30, and 31, they used a ball that was like a golf ball. And uh, Jimmy Fox just crushed the ball and Al Simmons and all these names of uh, ace history. So the, the equipment has been different. It's changed over the years. The baseball has been different. The ballparks are different. Um, and it's okay to change. They can do whatever they want. But you still need 27 outs. 
The last three outs are going to be the toughest, and you're still going to have to hit behind the runner to move a guy over when you're going to have to score a run. You're still going to have to throw a head in the count. If you get behind in the count, the hitter's going to kill you. And the game, that part of the game is never going to change, but there are certain aspects of it that will change this year. And we'll see the pitch count, uh, the pitch clock, rather, the way that works, the bases, the shift, and everything else. So it's going to look different to us. It's going to look a little bit on fast forward. But what I see in spring training down here, it's an experiment. And these players are so smart. I mean, they're already, the pitchers are already figuring out how to trick the hitters with the pitch clock. And the hitters are trying to figure out how to slow the pitcher down and step out of the box and do this and that. The base dealers are going to try to figure out when they can go. Uh, baseball always adapts to the rules. And I, I frankly think, Chris, this is going to be the most interesting year we've ever seen in baseball with the fact of the pitch clock and the way they're going to operate with it and with the not having the shift and the bigger bases make a difference too. Uh, it's going to be quite interesting. This is going to be a very unique spring training, and I think what's ahead will be amazing. Yeah, I, I knowing guys that 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 are, are good friends who really don't go to games much anymore have said, you know, God, I you know, if I can get out of there two hours and thirty minutes on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I can actually go to the game and not worry about work tomorrow or bring my kids to the game. So. Once it really gets out and we actually see regular season games, they're not going well over three hours. Uh, it's going to be a good advertisement for attendance, no question about it, and something that when you when you talk about the 60s and athleticism, I'm just excited. You know, being a kid that grew up in the 80s, all the base dealers. I mean, when I was growing up, it's Ricky Henderson, it's Vince Coleman, it's Tim Raines. Everybody was stealing bags. Our buddy Bip Roberts, uh, who I got to watch growing up. I mean, I, I can't wait, Marty, to see the base dealer back in the game. Yeah, yeah, it's coming, and uh, we'll see it. Well, they'll figure out, you know, after the first pickoff, will they go on the second one? Uh, there's going to be a lot of back picks. The catcher's going to be throwing the first base a lot to keep the runner close. Uh, but having bigger bases and the fact that you can run after they have thrown over twice, they got to get you or else it's a balk, that will be different. I think we're going to see many, many more stolen bases this year. Look, and Billy Bean figured this out back in 2000. I always remember him saying it. Say, well, why don't you run more? He says, well, you got to be successful 80% of the time to make it work statistically. And if these guys can get there 80% of the time, you're going to see a lot of people running. So that's something that we'll, we'll enjoy at the ballpark. But for the players, see, the fans are going to have fun. But the players, this is really a challenge because the pitcher has got to, you know, you, you got to think about the pitch you have to think about executing the pitch you have to think about where you are in the rubber you got to think about your breathing and all this happens in 15 seconds and all of a sudden instead of thinking about all that at the end before you deliver it you're looking and saying uh-oh i only got four seconds to go <laughs> and then the pitch is not as much of a quality pitch same thing with the hitter the hitter gets in the box he's got to be there at eight seconds well, what if he stands there at 10 seconds? Now the pitcher on the mound says, all right, he's already taken one timeout. He can't step out. I'm going to hold the ball until two seconds. So now I've frozen him for eight seconds or 10 seconds. It's an eternity what they're going to do to the hitter. So the hitter's got to step out. 
If he's down 0-2, 1-2 in the count, he's got to step out and take his time out and regroup at that point. So there's so much going on. It does affect the players, and that's my concern, whether the quality of the game will be different because of the uh, trying to speed up the game. For the fans, it's great. But for the players, they really have to adjust to this. Let's read some names here, some notable free agent additions for the San Francisco Giants. Mitch Haniger, our, our old buddy, Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling, Michael Conforto, who sat out all last year, but obviously had some big years with the Mets. Uh, Taylor Rogers, Luke Jackson. You know, the whole Carlos Correa thing, Ended up looking bad. Giants went out, tried to spend big money. We were there at the winter meetings uh, when they weren't able to land Aaron Judge, when supposedly they were. Then they pivoted to Correa. The x-rays didn't go the way they wanted. It was really ugly. But in the end, Farhan went out and got a lot of guys. And I just have the feeling that if these guys stay healthy and they're productive, I got a feeling that the Giants are going to be better than we think, Marty. Well, they're definitely better than last year. There's no question. They had guys last year who did not have a high ceiling. What we've got this year are people that actually we're not sure what the ceiling is going to be. And if it's the right ceiling, they're going to go up in their abilities and their numbers. So there's no doubt in my mind that this is a better team than we saw last year. Last year, there were a lot of fill-in players. We don't have that this year. So defense is still a question on the corners. We'll see what happens there. But not getting Correa, they missed having an anchor guy at the number three spot. So we'll have to see what Conforto does, what Hanniger does, what Flores does, uh, Jock Peterson and people like that. They still platoon all the time. Um, and they, they're a little rough on the corners defensively. Lamont Wade is another guy coming back. He looks terrific. He looks so healthy, and he looks terrific down here. Uh, in right field, you get Hanniger or Conforto, as I say. Yastrzemski, Slater, who's got a bad elbow right now in center field. Uh, J.D. Davis and Flores on the corners. Uh, you've got first base. You have a Flores and Wade there. you got a VR who had 35 homers between Sacramento and the Giants last year. Joey Bart has been challenged at catcher, and maybe it's working because he's crushing the ball yeah. down here. So we'll see how that turns out. But you brought up the pitching. And this is what's going on in baseball. Teams are going to six or seven-man rotation. Six-man for sure. We've seen two or three teams announce they're going to go with a six-man rotation. The Giants have a six-man rotation with Junis going to the bullpen. You know Junis from Kansas City. Uh, they've got a lot of depth in the starting pitching. Manaya went to driveline for the whole winter, except for two weeks in, in Antarctica to see penguins. But uh, his <laughs> velocity has gone up, you know, uh, two or three miles. So he's very happy. Uh, Alex Wood, you got Logan Webb, you got Stripling. Uh, you know, you've got people who, who can pitch here. And the bullpen is fairly deep. Uh, they've got a bunch lefties, righties. You've got the two Rogers twins who I, I don't know who I'm talking to when I see them. It's impossible to tell them apart. But one's a lefty, one's a righty. Uh, Duvall's a good closer. Uh, the Dodgers are a little banged up. They lost Lux. Their pitching now is a little different. Now they're relying on young players to make it. Before, they would just work them into the lineup, and if it worked fine. 
now they these guys have got to make it. So the Dodgers, we'll see. Uh, the Padres are a team that uh, the top of the lineup is fabulous, but they're going to need a six-man rotation uh, in their starting staff. And Arizona's better. They're a young team coming on. They're better, too. Uh, are they going to contend? Probably not. But no one's going to push them around this year. And Colorado, I can't figure out. I don't know what's going on. You know, you mentioned ceiling, and I'm just kind of laughing. You know, you know, you know. Last year at, at, at our training camp, there weren't too many guys that actually had a ceiling. That's kind of scary when you're at spring training and you don't even see a ceiling for guys. Yeah. So that's the one thing. That, you know, if these guys stay healthy, then you don't have to go in and make 60 transactions. But if they don't stay healthy, again, the farm system at the top is not really ready to produce many people to take over. So you could fall into it. If they're not healthy, you could fall into that again. It's not impossible. Um, but Kyle Harrison from De La Salle looks like a real deal. Good lefty arm. One of the best in baseball. He'll be in Sacramento. And the other one is this Casey Schmidt from your neck of the woods down in San Diego. Uh, he, he reminds me of Chavez a little bit. He reminds me of Eric playing third base. Uh, not Chapman. I don't see Chapman, but I see a little more of Eric in there. You know, who's, who's, he, the kid's going to develop. He swings the bat well. So Schmidt and Harrison are going to get to the big leagues this year. But other than that, there's not a lot ready. And that's my worry about the team. If they got to go in the, into the minors, there's not a lot there. Not a lot. They got Piscotti here, by the way. Is, and so Stephen, who you know well, yeah. he's in camp too. And uh, he's got a shot to make this team. If not, I hope he goes to Sacramento because he'll be in the big leagues this year. You know, I, years ago it was a four-man rotation. Now yeah. five-man rotation. It. I mean, have we, have we ever seen that work in the history of baseball where you're going to rely on six guys, one guy every six days? Well, no. There used to be a guy he would pitch every Sunday. Uh, Ted Lyons, the great Hall of Famer for the White Sox, that you knew he was going to pitch every Sunday. That's he was a Sunday pitcher. Uh, you know, certain pitchers would would be held out by certain managers to pitch against better teams. We've seen that before, which upset the rotation. But I don't. I can never remember seeing a six-man rotation that they are literally talking about doing. It's not just the Giants. Yeah. The Padres are talking about it. There are other teams in baseball the, the that are Mets. talking about it. The Mets have talked about it now. And how about the Dodgers? What are they going to do? They've got loads of pitchers. Syndergaard is there. Kershaw, May, Urias. Uh, they, they've got a lot of people to work into that rotation, too. You know, I'm just wondering. Six guys. There's 30 teams. Six guys. For, do we? Are there enough starters on planet Earth? that are good enough to pitch at the big league level in a six-man rotation? No. Well, now you don't have to go seven or eight innings. So if you give me the, the Di Sclafani and you tell me that Junis is coming in behind them, all right, so I can put Di Sclafani in, just give me four innings or five innings, and I'm coming back with Junis next. Here's Manaya. Just give me five innings. That's all I want from you. So just go as hard as you can for five. And that's the way the game has evolved. And that's why you can use a six starter because you're not saying 
hey, give me eight or nine innings every every turn. You just want it to give you enough innings to eat up that inning, that game, because you have to start 162 games. So the difference is you don't have to go eight or nine innings, so you can mess around with the rotation. Haniger and Confort. I love Mitch Haniger. I, I did that. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember ever seeing him play, so you tell me. About yeah, he well, went healthy, and I and I got to do the uh, Santa Clara County Baseball Banquet, and we honored him and, and Jock. And Mitch Haniger is just the nicest guy, Marty. You're going to love him. It's just can he stay healthy? And obviously, Conforto sat, sat out all year long. But if those guys bring the thump, that could be the thump that the Giants are missing now that, you know, they didn't end up with, with Judge or Correa. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, you got to have table setters at the top of the lineup to get on and do that. They look to me like a team built more on power and not speed. They're a little more station to station uh, than I like. I like to see a little bit more speed. And then maybe the pitch clock and the bases and all that will help them run a little bit more, get a better jump. But to me, they look like they're relying more on power. And when they won 107 games a couple of years ago, they had 250 home runs. So I think they like that, the way Farhan has put the team together. It's a little older, and it's a little more stationary. And it's look, there's no – Longoria's gone. You know, Belt is gone. Of course, Posey is gone. Uh, it's a different kind of team now. But they, they do rely on power. You've been around big league managers for a long time. You've studied big league managers. How's your relationship with Gabe Kapler, and how do you feel about him as a as a leader of a franchise? He's grown up a lot. Uh, I, I'd say, and I said it on the air, he's, he's almost done a 180 this spring. You know, he sits and he talks and he's patient and he laughs and this and that. And, of course, no games have happened yet. So let, <laughs> let's see when the season starts. But so far, he's been a pleasure. And like he says, look, Chris, the way this organization is set up, he's not calling the shots. He's got 18 coaches. He's got, he's got an analytics department. Whatever happens in this team, it's a consensus opinion of the way they want to play. So they know ahead of time who to put in and where to put in and who, what pockets they're going to look for with certain batters. And he executes it well, but he's gotten a little more glib. I think he's going to relate better to the fans as opposed to talking over their heads all the time, you know, with a lot of analytical mumbo jumbo. Uh, he's, he's definitely, he's not Ken Maka, you know, he's not Art Howe, he's not Bobby Cox, but he's not uh, as stiff as he was in the past. So I think he's going to be better. I do. Let's end on this. And I know Ray Fossey was trying to do this towards the end. God love our man, Ray Fossey. But you have done so many interviews. I mean, the amount of interviews you have done, are you preserving them? Is there ever going to be a place where we can get, I mean, I, I mention it all the time with you, your relationship with Tory Hunter and the stuff that you would get out of Tory Hunter, whether he was in Minnesota or he was in Anaheim, I mean, Tory was just wonderful. You guys had a great – like, are we ever going to have this vault where we can go and just enjoy and geek out on all your great interviews? Yeah, yeah. They are all – almost all of them are digitalized right now. A lot of the stuff I did, you know, look, I did the A's pregame from 98 to 09. And, Chris, I did it every single day, like you. 
You know, you work so hard. I would do a 90 minute show every single day. And to do 90 minutes by myself, I would have to have five or six different interviews every single day. So a lot of the stuff I have is on CD. Of the, I have all the many, many, many of my pregames from the A's with a lot of the CDs uh, filled up with interviews. But then we also have the digital side of the ones that were on the recorder. And those have been put on the Internet that we have them in a hard drive, which will never lose them. So it's on my mind. But there's so many yeah. on the day to day CDs that the stations would you know, prepare for me that someone's got to sit down. It'll take uh, two years to listen to everything. Listen to Ken Corrick and me rattle the lumber. Listen to me and Vinny, me and Shooty. Uh, you know, Maka, Garen, whoever it was. There's just so much stuff there. It's really, it's really the history of the A's from 98 to 09. It's really very complete. Well, I, I don't need to tell everybody how great you are. You're a Bay Area Radio Hall of Famer. They already did that for me. You're the hardest working guy in this business. And I tell you that. I look at what you do every day and how much you get done. It's absolutely incredible. You and Larry, Larry Kruger. You two guys are the hardest working guys in the Bay Area, and you're an icon. All I can say is when you call me, I'm coming on the show. Wow, that's that's very kind, but we all we, we all know who you are, Marty. I mean, when you get your own bobblehead, for God's sakes, that is a big deal. Uh, $79 on eBay. <laughs> that's when you're big league. Well, you know how much you mean to, to this fan base, how much you mean to me, and everything you've done for me in my career and helping me find information uh, about my grandfather. I'll always be indebted. Be well, and we'll see you down there. I'll be down there about March 11th. We'll be back. Oh, we, good. We were just there. We've come back. We'll be back again. But uh, can't wait to see you. And be well. And uh, stay warm in Arizona. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I will tell you this, being that I live in Arizona, some of the fans went, yes, I am Marty Lurie. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> the fans are coming up to the booth already. Um, I, I live here. So the fact that it's a little cooler, not a problem. Because believe me, in June and July and August, it's going to be 112. So I can put up with 58 right now. And I, <laughs> believe me, it's a very, very hot place in the summer. So I'm going to be more in the Bay Area in the summer, believe me. All right, buddy. We'll see you soon. All right. Be well. Always a pleasure. The great I'll see you on the 17th. I think Giants A's over in Mesa. I'll probably see you on, I think, March 17th, something like that. Beautiful. Take care. Okay. Be well. Bye-bye. The great Marty Lurie right here on A's Cast Live. Legend. Well, it's great to have you again. How are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm glad to be back in Arizona. My favorite time of the year, spring training in, uh, in Phoenix, and uh, just having a blast. Starting to warm up a little bit. And Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time. Good time of year. It's almost like you brought your Buffalo Bills weather with you for the first couple of days here. A lot of people accuse me of that. You know, every 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 time I see someone who I haven't seen, like you bring that that crummy Buffalo weather with you. I didn't try to. <laughs> I tried to leave it. Yeah, I mean it. it, it and it, it's nice when it warms up. It's easier for the players because when you do get high winds and you get cold, there's there's only so many things you guys can do. Because I know, like right now, there's a ton of teaching going on with these players before you actually get into the games. 
There is. It's a it's a great time to to reinforce fundamentals, to introduce the new players from different organizations to the the Oakland Athletics way and how we we do things here. And uh, sometimes it's difficult in the mornings when it's you know thirty five forty degrees and people are sitting around listening to. to a coach explains something that's going on on the field, but it's it's always like this early in spring training here, and then it starts to warm up a week or two into it, and it turns into just beautiful weather all the time. But guys are really doing a good job of focusing and getting it, getting in their uh, their work early. I'm real curious because I, I asked Mark Kotze this a little bit ago, and obviously you run a you run a lot of the things down here. Um, how different is this year? No lockout, not talking about COVID anymore. How different is this year from from what we saw last year? So many changes and kind of like a lot of chaos last year. Well, it's it's different in the fact that it's normal. You know, we haven't really had a normal spring training since 2019 with all the different things that have come up in the last few years. So it, it feels good to get back to that normalcy, that full spring training schedule, uh, not having to worry about the CBA or not having to worry about uh, COVID testing. And it just feels, it feels good. It feels natural. And, and I think the biggest thing, it feels normal. Yeah. That's that. It's wonderful, right? It's it, like, it it's like wonderful being back. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good feeling. Now there's a lot of competition going on here at camp. And I know that from the outside, a lot of people have said, ah, the A's are not going to have anything. It's like, ah, there's a lot more talent here than you think. And whoever doesn't make the big league club, I think you have to be excited. You're going to be getting a lot of talent down there in Las Vegas. I think so. I'm, I'm still getting to know a lot of the new players, just, just getting to know their names, let alone their abilities and what they can can do on the field and uh, their individual talents. But, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's going to be a situation, in my opinion, just – from, from the first look, that we will have more depth in the organization. We will have more talent on the Major League roster, and I think that will trickle down to the AAA roster as well. And that's exciting. You know, I, I, I think that you you have to give the front office credit that there is more depth and there is more talent, and uh, obviously time will tell how we're going to be on both the Major League level and the AAA level, but it's, it's, it's an exciting time. So something that people probably don't think about is last year the A's used a record 64 players. Well, then that means that there's a lot of guys coming up and down from AAA. People don't think about that, but that affects you guys dramatically with all the different faces. Yeah, it, it does, and that, that's part of the gig. And last year was more severe, more significant as far as player moves, guys going up and down, and and guys getting opportunities, which to me is the most important thing from my job's perspective, is to, to hopefully get guys ready to come up and be productive major leaguers. And it, it definitely affects our roster, but it's it's part of the part of the process, and it's why they have a Triple A team to to be a, a depth and a feeder system for the major league team, and uh, uh, hopefully that'll continue to to happen at a, at a not not such a high rate this year, but it, it will definitely happen. And uh, you know, we just make the adjustments as as you go along. We tell our fans all the time: make the trip down to Vegas, go see the Aviators. I mean, Vegas is Vegas, but then you throw the aviators in there. The ballpark is absolutely beautiful. The experience, you guys are always really good. The ballpark is great. I mean, it's a fun time. People from the Bay Area, take a little vacation. Come down and, and see the aviators play. Yeah, it's a, it's a short flight. It's a beautiful drive, and it's a, a great place to go. You, you think of Vegas, and you think of, oh, you know, it's just the strip. And the stadium's not, not even – it's close to the strip, but it's a 20-minute drive, and it's a beautiful area, and there's the Red Rock Canyons there, and there's great golf, and there's great restaurants, and the stadium is a, an absolute pearl, you know, in the, right there in the middle of Summerlin. And it's a, like you said, it's a great experience. The front office does a fantastic job of creating that experience, 
And, uh, yeah, if, if you haven't been there, it's definitely worth the trip. All right, we got to end on this because I know you got to get over to Fitch. Uh, I work with a Jets fan, and I, 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 the Jet fan now, for some reason, really doesn't like buff, the Buffalo Bills Mafia. And I'm like, well, you know, the Jets haven't won anything in a long time, and they're trying to discount that you guys have been in the playoffs the past couple of years. But I said, well, they're building something. The Bills are building something. And I expect the Bills the Bills to continue to build to where the Jets, I, I just keep seeing building failure. What do you have to say to a colleague of mine who's a Jets fan, who's a Bills hater, and really has no right to be? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to talk to him because the Jets, not not only are they building a almost a tradition of failure, they're, they're building on a record of how many head coaches and offensive coordinators they can have in a five-year period. And uh, I, I think they're trying to trample that record. They're doing a great job. So, you know, we'll see what happens next year. But the Bills keep making the playoffs. They haven't got past that final hump yet. Yeah. But uh, I, I think we're in a little bit better situation than the New York Jets. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, building a, a, they're building a loser, basically. And I don't know why they're looking at anybody else, judging anybody else. Uh, I was down at the AT&T, saw your quarterback playing. Allen's a big kid. And, uh, man, special. Yeah. I, and when he, so when you walk next to him, so I'm walking next to him at Pebble Beach, and I'm thinking, the size, like you see him on TV, but the size of him to move the way he does at that size as a quarterback is amazing. It's incredible. That's why he's so fun to watch. I mean, he's 6'5", 255, and, and he runs like uh, – like a fast tight end. Or he almost a, looks like a big outside linebacker. Yeah, that's exactly what he looks like. You know, and, and just that makes his athleticism and the, what he can do on the football field that, that much more exciting. And uh, it's it's pretty fun time to be a Bills fan with him at the quarterback. Well, we appreciate the time. You know we're going to be calling you during the season. we got to check in on the Aviators. It's always fun. So we uh, thank you so much for coming out here. I know you got to get over to practice, but we will be calling here in just a little bit. I will always answer. Well, we're now with Daniel Susak, former number one pick for the Oakland Athletics out of the University of Arizona, back in uh, the Valley of the Sun. I, you know, you guys are always telling us down here in Arizona, it's hot. It's we're gonna be golfing in shorts. What's going on with the weather? It happens sometimes. You know, it gets cold here. It's a desert. You'll get the coldest of the cold and the hottest of the hot. Unless you go to Tucson, great weather every day. That's what I like to say. But <laughs> you know, sometimes it's always bad. But you know, can't complain. Playing baseball. So the last time we talked to you was in Oakland after you'd been drafted. How's life been since? It's been good. You know, first time I would say since probably ever that I had more than two weeks off, you know, being a catcher, you know, sometimes you need that time off. Always played football or had fall ball in college. So, you know, have that four-month period to really work on my body, work on getting ready again. It was nice. Yeah, we just talked to uh, Tyler about that to where, you know, you start to get into a routine about how to take care of yourself physically and mentally. So you're finding that. I am, yes. You know, it was weird because I always watched my brother do it growing up, but I would always go to school or then, you know, go to football practice. So it's, you know, nice to have it on your own way. You get to do it, you know, I get to do what he did for a living now. And that is the benefit of having an older brother, seeing what he did for a routine, you know, implementing that for myself. Yeah, and then also there's that time going from the college season to drafted to playing, a time that you need to step back and breathe a little bit, right? What was that like being able to to step back and go, okay, we're now really starting the career? Yeah, it was nice for about a month, you know, finally get a little break. But then, you know, you want to play baseball again, especially after getting drafted, you know, only playing in about 20 games in Stockton. 
you know, you kind of start to get into a groove after about 20 games, and then, you know, your season's over. So just ready to get back out there and get going again. What was the number one thing you wanted to work on this offseason? I would say flexibility. Being a taller guy, it's huge. You know, trying to get as low as you can because you're already higher up yeah. when you're catching than everybody else. That and, you know, staying back behind the ball when I'm hitting. Whenever I get in trouble, it's usually I'm drifting toward, towards the ball. So if I can always stay behind, I always give myself a chance. Yeah, being a big catcher, that, that's that's an interesting flexibility yeah. is, is a big player, and that's something that, I mean, that's something you've always dealt with being a big catcher. Mm-hmm. What 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 is the key, though, for you to, to be able to maintain the body like that? I would say just consistency. You know, if you let it, you have to stay ahead of the problem, basically. You know, keep doing your pre-work so you don't have to, you know, deal with the post-work later. If you keep doing it beforehand, you'll never have to deal with the problem after the hand, after the fact. So, you know, just beating it before it actually happens. You know, when I think about a catcher, you need to know all your pitchers, right? Mm-hmm. And now you get into minor league baseball, you're going to have a ton of different pitchers. Guys are coming, guys are going. Yep. Far different than being on a college staff where you know all the same guys, you're partying with those guys, you've known them <laughs> for years. What do you think that process is going to be like? You only have those few games in Stockton, but what do you think that process will be like handling all these different pitchers? It's fun. I actually, I think that's my favorite part of being a catcher. You know, meeting somebody at the mound, asking them what they're working on today. You know, always finding something in common. You know, maybe we know this guy from his college, something like that. Getting to know them on a personal level, because every pitcher is different. Especially pitchers are the most unique position in terms of personalities. But it's fun. You know, you get to catch these big league pitchers, and you start to realize, like, they have the best stuff in the world. Just like, you know, a guy in low A, guys in college have the same type of stuff, but they're throwing it where they want it every time. And it's really fun as a catcher knowing you're getting it in that spot that you want it. So when pitchers catchers report, you know, a lot of people just see the video and they just see guys throwing on the mound and, hey, this guy threw 40 pitches. How did it look? But for you, what does that mean to catch all these different guys doing these bullpens? How does that help you? It's a huge help. You know, catching bullpens, it's a lot better practice than people give it credit for. You know, they think you're just back there, you know, get the pitcher his action, get, you know, just stand back there and catch his pitches. But, you know, you're working on stuff too, working on receiving, you know, that change up they spike you know can you block it you're getting ready for a real game as well and you know it's good to get those four bullpens a day because it's simulating just like a game for four yeah. or five innings and it's nice from a hitting standpoint you ready to rock oh yeah i'm ready to go ready to see some live pitching yeah, so yeah. you guys haven't done much yet no i've been catching them but i'm excited you know whenever i get to hit i'm excited to go yeah games are going to be starting here this saturday have they talked about how much playing time you're going to have i have not heard anything about that you know if I get any at-bats at all, I'll be, I'll be happy with that. Oh, you're getting A-Bs. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm just ready for a pinch hit in the ninth against Hayter. So. <laughs> what, yeah. what, what do you want to accomplish this spring offensively? Uh, I would just say staying balanced. I think if I'm balanced, I always have a chance. I always trust my hands. I think in college, you know, I expanded the zone a little bit too much, but I think that was a product of drifting to the ball. So if I stay behind it and trust my eyes, I think I'll be all right. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about that, especially with the A's, being able to work the count, get the right pitches, swinging at strikes. Yep. You know, too many times we, we see with the numbers, numbers go down when you don't swing at strikes. Definitely. Is that – how do you work on that from a, a mental standpoint when you're not actually swinging the bat? Some people may not understand, but there's a lot of visualization and, and how when to swing, when not to swing, and recognizing strikes versus not. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing I have to work on post-college is when to get my A swing off versus when to battle. I think if I had to guess 70, 75% of my at-bats in college, I had two strikes. And, you know, I could thrive in two strikes at that level, but, you know, when somebody's throwing a nastier slider or a better pitch, it's a little tougher. So, you know, maybe earlier in the count getting my pitch 
knowing when maybe a 2-0 fastball is your swing where maybe you take that, hey, I'm going to hammer this pitch for a home run versus a 2-2 slider low and away. You're not hitting that ball out. You know, just take it the other way, get your hit. I love that, the A swing, when you're you're ready to let it rip. This may be a question that will be better for next spring training, Mm -hmm. but how much has catching better pitchers, professional pitchers, helped you offensively? Ooh, I don't know yet. I haven't had a live at bat yet, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Might be better yeah. next year. I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta see it first. But I would say a lot. You know, you get to see the best stuff every day. So when you see it at the plate, you know, it's not something you've never seen before. It's not foreign. So seeing that rep every single day will definitely help you at the plate in one way or another. Even if it doesn't help you that day, it helps you eventually down the road. Now you, you're a full time Arizona guy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we should expect what we're expecting right now. Sometimes, yeah. It's, uh, when do we get the 80 degrees of the shorts oh, we'll get it out? Soon. We'll get it soon, about a week or two. So is this always – because we're actually here very early for us. Yeah. And this is, is this pretty normal? Yes and no. I mean, last week it was perfect. Sometimes it's like this. It goes through spurts, you know, three, four days. It's cold, and then it'll go 80 for a month, and people won't say a word about it because it's expected. But sometimes I take Arizona weather for granted. I don't think people realize how good it is during the spring. So, do you rep the uh, rep Wildcats around here with all these Sun Devils? I do. I went to a couple of their games this weekend. They were playing out here at uh, they played at Salt River, and then they also played at Sloan Park. So, I went to a couple of games. They beat Tennessee, lost to Fresno State, beat UC San Diego, and beat Michigan State. So, three and one's not bad. No, I like it. I like it. Well, hey, yeah. thanks for the time. Appreciate yep. you coming out in the cold. Thank you. And then uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Hopefully in Oakland. Yeah, hopefully. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.